0: I just want to do that. <laughs> I just want to do that. <laughs> oh, so much of the best stuff we can't air. I want to, I want to cuckold some people. Is what I want to do. Uh, yeah, I, you know, raise my seat, It will hate you.
1: <laughs> that sounds like something that should be put in like the next incarnation of the 300 movies or yeah. an episode of Game of Thrones. But it's just coming out of your mouth right I now. I told
0: you I would get the throne. It may not be me, but it's my child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like one of those uh, gladiator, but they use the word cuck in it. I can't believe you have cuckolded <laughs> me. <laughs>
1: oh, goodness. Such you you good know term. what makes it good? Is that as funny as all of that was We can't air most of it Until the point where it gets really funny And we're laughing And it's all out of context And people have to guess what it is (laughs) It's cool and it's humid in the mountain state. It's also episode 11 of Apex Live. We told you we would be more prolific. Moving forward, we're going to be regular. Digital Metamucil, I believe we <laughs> Digital. said. I'm Brad, that's Steve. Hello. Uh, we've got things to do. It's the end of summer, the 126ers are intro music. There's a lot of stuff going on that we need to talk about. Even today, it's been busy. Justin Navarri is going to join us on the program a little later in the second half. He's going to be on the spot, the first ever in our On the Spot segment. We'll cover his boxing career. Probably won't do any word association with him because the concept scares me of doing that with him. <laughs> but, uh, we'll ask him some off-the-wall questions that he has to answer. He has no idea what I'm going to ask him. He asked me if he if he needed to do any prep, and I said... Yeah, we're gonna. There are a couple of boxing things we'll talk about, but he's weird enough not to have to prep. I'm not telling him what any of the questions are, and well, we'll just we'll find out how that goes. Steve, how are you, my friend? I'm um, good. How about you? Well, you know, things are are feeling pretty good, I think, for the most part. But you ever have that that ominous feeling where you know something's wrong and you don't know what it is, or maybe that it's not wrong, but. Maybe something's coming. For about a week now. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it seems weird. I don't think it's anything related to the show, so I don't care that Mm -hmm. much, because the show, really among my top three priorities at this point, so we're just going to keep that rolling, but I don't know. I give it top three.
0: I have, uh... Something just seems up. I give it top four. God, family, here. Right. You know, all that. I notice I notice work didn't make the list. No, it never does I think because it's slavery and I'm wasting my life. I think you've had just about enough. Wasting my life? I'm talking about any job. I'm wasting my life. Yeah, but specifically you'd had enough of of that one yesterday, I think. Yeah, tired you know, people call me. I'm, don't don't call me. On <laughs> well, Saturday, I don't care about your washing machine. I'm sorry. Okay, so as much of an eighties music fan as you
1: are the Thompson twins song. Call me not coming up. No, yesterday. no, I love no, you. The, had it. Don't, don't
0: call me today. I, I love the Thompson twins. <laughs> I think, are they all like, um, there's, they're definitely not twins. I don't think so, and I don't know how many of them are female and how many of them are male. I think it's two dudes, two dudes, but one looks like a chick. Yeah, because no, may- a bass player might be a chick. I don't remember one with like the hat with the long blonde hair, weird looking style. This is going to sound super insulting, but they weren't quite important enough
1: for me to remember in detail. Like Tears for Fears, they, they were, were weird. they were relevant. They, they were like a spinoff of
0: Tears. They were. It was kind of like the genre type. They, they, yeah, it was that
1: new wave yeah, synth pop, pop era that was really good. Man, I love 80s. We always bring it back to 80s music
0: at some point because it's just so wonderful. I love it. It, ah. it is. It actually, it's reversal. It seems like that should be our music now because it seems progressive. Now it, everything's just an a unfleshed turd. You know?
1: Well, 80s music, 80s television, those kinds of things. We were old enough to remember a lot of it, Mm -hmm. or at least by the time we got to five, six, seven years old, it was still recent enough to be relevant. So we could sort of pick up on it, even if it was a little after the fact. It makes me looking back. It makes me wish that I would have been. In those teenage years. Oh, it will be awesome. 12, 13, 14, around 82 or 83, and then and going into high school and the first year or two of college Early by adulthood. the end mm-hmm. of that decade, whereas what we had to deal with was the 90s, which was really just... It was weird. It was angry. Yeah. That was an angry decade. Third eye blind and stuff like that. The you know? music was angry. <laughs> what they called alternative. And I thought alternative to what? What's alternative? And just as a whole, I thought the 80s was a more fun decade. Mm -hmm. Um, Or just naming a A little more carefree. It was a better time, and that would have been fun to grow up in. But the 90s weren't too bad, especially when you compare it to the utter garbage that we have to live with now. So there's that.
0: That's why I like watching Donnie Darko, because it kind of like, man. Is that the one with the rabbit? Yeah. Thought so. It's a Jake Gyllenhaal movie. It's actually pretty good. Man, that's weird. Bubble Boy, I think it was Bubble Boy and then that. Bubble Boy is pretty funny. So. Okay. okay, so just to clarify, because I'm
1: not a Jake Gyllenhaal expert. I am. Just to clarify. <laughs> you you, go you've got Bubble Boy. Yes. You've got Donnie Darko. Yeah. And Brokeback Mountain. Oh, yeah. That's quite a resume. Let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, handle a little business. If you're listening to us, you're probably doing so via Fireside, which is our host. They handle our hosting, our website, everything. Or you may be listening to a podcast app. I recommend Podcast Addict. It can automatically download all of your podcasts with an RSS feed. If you want any info on that, it is readily available. But you can find our website, apexlive.fireside.fm. Send us email, send us audio commentary, whatever you like, ApexLivePodcast at gmail.com. And you can look us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ApexLivePodcast. Other than the work, foolishness, Steve, anything else going on of note? Anything driving you nuts? I know you're not terribly aware of all kinds of stuff that's
0: going on. You know what? You're steering clear. I'm trying to be more self-aware. Okay. And aware of what is being put in my life by God, and that's basically where I'm going with that, like trying to become more self-aware, more Mm -hmm. uh, introspective, um, a little bit more passionate, but then again more angry at just idiot stuff, you know? Right.
1: Well, and and that's good, and I think that that also means that you're going to be a little disconnected from what we just so broadly refer to as pop culture, mm -hmm. things that make people Like us, and I think an increasing number of people who I respect, look at certain things and certain news stories and just go, why do you care? Mm -hmm. I I think it was last month. It hasn't been in May. I think it was last month in April. The big news story was one of the Kardashian whores had a kid with an NBA guy, and there was some big news story, and I don't know the details of it because
0: I refused to click any of it. I think I hit on that a little bit, too. It's supposed to be the bodyguard's baby or something like that. But but I looked at it, and I said... Checking my email. I said, why
1: is this a headline? And then the logic follows, and you say, well, it's a headline because people are reading it, and that's how they make money. Why do people care? Okay, well, that's never happened. I'm going to leave that that gap in it for a very specific reason. What just happened is the power went out. (laughs) And the best part of that, Steve, is that I had just yelled, why uh, does anyone care? And it knocked the power out on my entire block. (laughs) (laughs) That had some real resonance So I am that angry about this Kardashian foolishness And I think my anger is justified Because there is absolutely no reason For anyone to give a crap about what's going on In the lives of people that they will never meet They will never know Will never know them No one will ever care if they're alive or dead No they're so. Why do you care about celebrities' lives? If you are that concerned about what any of the Kardashians or any of these other pop culture people who are famous just for being famous are doing, if that is a that much of a priority to you, I would suggest you take that as a hint that you need to fix a lot of stuff in your own life to make it, at the very least, interesting. Mm-hmm. It, is, it doesn't even have to be useful, just interesting at that point.
0: Yeah, you if, you if you can pay attention to that at that level, you should have zero debt or anything else like that before you even That's get there. That's correct. Now, so. with that
1: said, I, I don't like the term devil's advocate. I don't want to be an advocate of the devil. But I will say I can play contrarian. Mm-hmm. And there are, I guess, instances where maybe... You need to show some interest in menial, mindless things like that to distract from the idiocy going on in your own life. And I say that because I've got plenty of that crap to deal with right now. Oh, yeah. Because my family, you know, I'm not going to go into too much detail here because it's a, this is sort of a public forum and it's not terribly necessary to do so. But uh, you know how sometimes in a family, there's that one person that manages to literally destroy the rest of the family on Moss. Well, we have one of those, and for this person, for let's see, eighty-eight to two thousand sixteen. That's a that's a good a run. Good that's twenty-eight years. <laughs> it wreaked absolute havoc on my family. That side of the family, especially on the immediate level of the family tree was never the same again. And then we had a death in the family. And then that person did not talk to me or much of anyone else for about a year. And, and it, it broke your heart. And you know, it was a nice year. It was quiet. I could talk in this tone and it would be okay. I didn't, I didn't have any, any worries along those lines. And then they thought it would be a good idea to try to mend fences and talk and be nice. And I said, you know what? That's the right thing to do, because I think that's what the Lord would want me to do. I think I need to put things in the past, even if they were never really acknowledged, much less addressed. And we'll try to do this the right way. And I did. And it was going over there and spending time and trying to show some care, even... If it had not been earned and, and I know that it, that's a tough thing to say because we should care even if it's not been earned because earning something is arbitrary and and kind of subjective, so let's just try to do the right thing regardless of other people. you have to do it for your
0: own self well, guess what you got to do it for your the self. old version of this person. Is back. Because it was never – it was always there. Oh, you better believe it. There must have been some kind of uh, monetary or personal gain to change that. this is what
1: sociopaths do. It is what master manipulators do. It's what narcissists do. And when someone manages to tick off all three of those boxes on the checklist, bad things happen. So it has been an absolute circus for about two, two and a half weeks Mm. of a bunch of crap in the family. And it comes down to this one issue. And there are listeners who will know exactly who I'm talking about without me saying it. So I don't really have to say it, but I'll just give you with brevity an overview. Um, Around the time that someone passed away a couple years ago, um, it was the same day of Dave's championship fight. I remember you that. were there. Yeah, I was there. And I had to come from the funeral to go to that fight and work. And that was a very difficult day. Well, a couple of eh, probably a month, well, you had two been travel- months. You had
0: been traveling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. So yeah. a couple of months after that, uh, we decided it would be a nice thing to do. Uh, this entire side of the family, the one that this other person had isolated and almost vilified to a point, mm-hmm. uh, thought it would be a good idea to create a memorial plaque to put it at the decedent's place of work to honor them. And everyone who donated to it and everyone who had kind of come together to brainstorm on it had their names listed on the plaque. And the troublemaker was not listed on the plaque because (laughs) they had made it abundantly clear over the years that they didn't want to be a part of it. Now, publicly, yes. Privately, whole different story and you could tell by the way that there was conduct and they would they wouldn't admit this to save their life well not only was this person's name not put on the plaque they weren't even made aware of the plaque <laughs> good yeah and i think that was correct if you're going to alienate an entire group of people don't be mad when they alienate you back or just ignore the fact that you're still drawing breath so we that's c- a, that's the best medicine for most people right and all it is steve is karma that's yeah. all any of that is. It's so we go are. through all that. Didn't even know the plaque existed. Well, for some reason, they went to this place a couple of weeks ago uh, and just yeah. managed uh, managed to find themselves in the same area as the plaque and saw the plaque and was not happy. They didn't know who did it. So they start asking questions. Who did this? Who did this? They, of course, turn this into what? Me, 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 I, I, I. I hadn't even told you anything about this and you got it. I know people like that. That's right. So it's all about me, 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 me. And they make it all about them. The whole thing is about them from literally from start to finish. Their primary complaint, Steve, was that Their their name wasn't on the plaque. Oh, it gets better than that. They were afraid that someone would see the plaque and then think that because their name wasn't on it, that they had gotten a divorce. See, I wish that we had a little bit of video so I could have screen capped your face just here. care now. what people think about you much. Well, this is the thing. And I figured this out a, a few days later. I was like, why are you that concerned about what people that you don't know and who don't know you and you will never meet think about whether or not you got a divorce or, or whatever this is? And then it dawned on me. You have to cling to the opinion Of those who you don't know. Yeah. Because those who you do know (laughs) already have an opinion of you that if you had the little slider like you do online. I like that. You would it it would be over toward the less than favorable area. You will find people who know this person. But they kind of know them, acquaintance level. It's, oh, aren't they great? Aren't they so nice? uh, (laughs) You don't know them very well, do you? Then as you get closer to the people who have been around a while and have encountered more, it's more of a seething and a stomach churning kind of sensation. So karma has come back. We were then informed by this person that they were going to file a request with this place to have it removed yeah, you can't do that because it's it's the property of the people who donated it yeah. and the people who have it, so you, you don't really get to do that. So they it's, have tried multiple channels to do something about this, and all of them have
0: failed. Can I can I interject real quick? Please do. I just I – just, I just, this sounds like a female. <laughs> I don't even know, but just these actions, I don't know any male that would act like this. See, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call this segment Moron
1: Mad Libs. Is this a female, because it Yes. Thank because you. if we just started – I, remember, you, we can go back and listen to this. Listeners, run it back. I did not give any hints as to identity, identities of people, any details of it. And Steve just started plugging Man, stuff And I don't know in anybody in your family. Because he knows. I well, know you, your dad. You've and, met my dad.
0: And that's it. I met your dad. Yeah, you never met, my, never met my brother. Never met your brother. I don't know anybody else in your family. Yeah. And you don't. I mean, we talk a little bit, but it was never any kind of detail or anything. No, so. we never talked about that. No, not about this at all. No, we're
1: usually so. talking about other lunacy that we encounter because, let's face it, we we deal with a lot of crap.
0: I, I, You know, even my immediate family, I have no time or anything. It's all about personal growth, and that's all it is. Well, everything's about personal growth, and if, you, if you're hindering my personal growth or if I'm hindering yours, I will completely remove myself from your life. Well, that's one thing that I think we can, we really connect on
1: because doing this is a personal growth thing. Oh, yeah. It's an outlet. It's a creative outlet. It's something that we use to build uh, in, a, in a lot of different ways personally, and who knows where where it could end up. So many things that are going on right now for both of us. It is, it's nothing but it, – it's dead weight, and that's the only way that I know how to explain it. It's carrying so nice. the piano yeah. on your back. And even things that shouldn't be that way – are starting to be that way, and I'm I'm getting really sick of it, and that's why I'm so excited about doing this and being more regular with it, and hopefully doing the other show that I'm going to start doing next month. The more of that stuff I can do, it, that's that's going to help me on a personal level, and on a mental and an emotional, even a spiritual level, to get things out. Because when you don't, it it is just a nightmare, and I I, I have trouble. Dealing with people sometimes who don't even seek an outlet
0: face value of everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's the people who they never have an outlet for anything like this because they have no interest in it. Their interest is always on focusing on everybody else and their crap. And if, if, if it's not enough for the people who are just around them, then they go to the celebrity level. They
0: go to all this other crap. And what's that tell you by how that's being pushed for the main media part? If I ever get to a point where I am
1: seriously, objectively concerned about the lives of celebrities like this. I really need to do an, a self inventory of some yeah. sort. And that's something that you say you're in the process of, but it would need to take on a whole new life. Always in the process
0: of self inventory.
1: Well, and if you're, if you stop doing that, you're dead.
0: No, yeah. I, we've, we've done that. Pauses to Absolutely. where you're just three months go down the road, as I was saying with boxing. Mm-hmm. It goes away. You know, where did the time go? I don't even know where I've been. You know what I mean? And that aspect, but that's anything in life. Well, we've done two shows this month. But we went five months and didn't
1: didn't do one. But legitimately, we looked at it and we didn't get to do one. we had no. so many things going on. But when we look back at those five months or four months, where'd they go? We go, OK, what is it that was going on? It was just a wash of stuff. It felt like high tide coming in and it just gets overwhelming to a point. But there's even with all that said there are there are some things that some people have to deal with that are infinitely more difficult and one of them happened in the news today another school shooting this time in Texas still limited information by the time that we've been able to put any of this together but 10 dead 10 injured at least and word is that they found explosives mm-hmm. in the building well, I, I don't know if that is totally confirmed yet because wouldn't be I have to lit. check it I don't know what it is but Explosives. Apparently, a dude. They think it may maybe two shooters, but definitely one had the trench coat, had pistols and a shotgun. No AR fifteen. Where's your narrative this time? But it's happening again. How many MAOI inhibitors were they on? Uh, that will come out, and no. I get you know as well as I do. No.
0: I've taken them, and you know what? It makes you an emotional, emotionless robot. Makes you a zombie. And it makes you a zombie. And no matter what a lot of people more than what they will admit because everybody thinks it's crazy. Those will make you hear voices, and it does not tell you to do good things. Well, and that's why I was like, you know what? I'm done with this stuff. I am...
1: Obviously, I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm a believer. I believe in everything the Bible says. Absolutely everything. Cover to cover, every word. And one thing that I definitely believe to be true is that we are fighting a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are drugs... And this can be prescription drugs. This can be illicit drugs. Any of these things. God gave us all the drugs that we need. I think they open a doorway. I think they Uh, open a doorway for stuff to come in. And when you have these, you cannot describe what happened today, what happened in Sutherland Springs, what happened in Parkland, Florida. Columbine, Sandy Hook, name any of them. Nevada. The only way you can... Exactly. It doesn't have to be a school shooting. The only way you can describe these actions is that they are pure evil. Well, what defines evil? Satan. Yeah. And And his demons and his fallen... That's what evil is. That's what personifies these things. And the fact that we're seeing the common thread as these... Anti-depression, anti-anxiety medications that are being used and overused. Probably chantics in there too. You know, I've heard a lot of stuff about that. I've it's heard that for you. I've heard a lot of stuff about the 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 quit smoking drug Chantix. I've heard it gives you crazy dreams and, and oh, yeah. starts messing with you. And then the other one, of course, is Ambien because you can lose three days of your life and not know what in the world's going on. I so have taken it. this Bad for you. I want nothing. Sleep 90%. without dreams is not good. Ninety percent. Well, life without dreams is bad too. Yeah. But yeah. 90%, yeah, 90% of this stuff that people take is poison. You're putting poison in your system. That's all you're doing. You are putting poison into your body and then wondering why things don't go
0: well. Well, you're trying to say that the things that have been put on the earth were made imperfect and they're not. We make them imperfect. Genesis 1 1. I, I wrote this in my book. Faith begins in
1: Genesis 1 and the first verse of genesis 1 says and and this is this is not a bible program if you've listened to the previous no. 10 episodes you know that but it's foundational to my life okay i'm a bad mouth christian i'm sorry but if it you if you are going to be a person of faith faith begins in genesis 1 verse 1 in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth if you cannot accept that fact if you cannot believe that fact then you're start you're discrediting The authenticity and the inspiration of the entirety of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Because this is how it works. Either all of it's true or none of it's true. None of it's true, yeah. This is is pass-fail, and the passing score is 100%. Yeah. It's the same with people calling themselves a prophet. Well, then you better never, ever, ever once be wrong. No. Because a a, a prophet of God, 100% correct. 100%. True. True prophet. So, again, let's follow the logic. We say that how many times on this show? Follow the logic. Okay, let's follow it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I believe he did it in six days. I believe he did it in six literal days. I believe Mm -hmm. in a young earth. All that stuff. You don't like it? Email me. More than happy to have a discussion with you. I'll even bring you on the show because I really don't care what you think to begin with. But I believe that all of that was created. And I believe that if God put it on this earth, he put it here for a reason. Okay, now think about the things that includes. He put cannabis leaves here. He put coca plants Mm. here. Dandelion roots. I've been eating on them. Now, we can take things and do bad things with them. He put a lot of things here for a good reason and we did did things with them that are bad. That's what humanity does in a fallen world. It's how that works. We can do what God can't do. But I also think that there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that is being created by humanity And we think it's a good thing until it gets proven to us that it's not. And a lot of these pharmaceuticals are a perfect example. We live in a state that has, per capita, the worst opioid problem in the country. And in addition to that, there is a county in our state that has the highest rate of opioid abuse of any single county in America. Mm -hmm. Was that Cabell County?
0: It's either I think it's Cabell or McDowell. McDow- I uh, well, I mean, as far as if you say per capita, I would have to get to McDowell, but but think about McDowell. yes,
1: or wyoming county that's it's bad too. Wyoming. but add all of that together, add all of the fact that we can't decide between the three which one it is should tell that's you something pretty bad. that yeah. should tell you something. But even with all of that put together,
0: we have people overdosing here all the time all the
1: time. when you put all of that together, it makes you realize one thing. we don't have a clue. We do not have a clue. So if we are that insistent on putting poison into our body, why are we so insistent on downplaying or ignoring the possibilities of things that are natural, that are good? I don't think it's a good idea to abuse anything whether it's natural or synthetic. No. I don't think moderation it, everything. I don't think it's a good idea to go and smoke weed 3 times a day. I totally agree with you. I don't you. think that's a, I don't think that's a good thing. That's I don't good. think it's a good thing to use cocaine. I don't think it's a good thing to do any of these things that naturally appear. Cocaine by the way does not naturally appear. You have to no. do some things to process it. But we'll talk about marijuana. We're, we can do an entire episode on medical marijuana. I know who to bring in as a guest and we can talk about it. The derivatives, the legality, all those things. Mm-hmm. There is a use for it. If there wasn't, God would not have put it here. That is a fact. People who have severe MS, people who have cancer, yeah. and they have no appetite, they have they have pain that is off the charts. Would you rather them use CBD oil or some type of derivative of cannabis that is, is being closely monitored? Would you rather have them using that or using something that was created in a lab, half of which you have these substances, and you ask the... There's one in particular that I'm not going to name. Yeah. There's one... Medicine in particular, it's not a pain med, but it is a medication. It's a prescription med. It's a it's a um, it's on the schedule, so it ha- it's mm-hmm. it's something that's it's a controlled substance. And if you read all the documentation, they if you go deep enough, they essentially tell you, yeah, we're not really sure how it works. <laughs> we just know that it works, it but we're works. we're really not sure. We how. don't know. Is is that not a red flag to anyone? Is anyone paying attention? The power's still on. I was doing that to test and see if it would go out again, and it did. But but really, how how could you release something? How could the FDA re- release anything and and deem it safe for mass consumption?
0: Because they don't care
1: if they don't know, unless they are already in
0: the bag. Oh, Rumsfeld with his uh, what it was that uh, the. Blood pressure and uh, stuff like that. The medication that he was in, right. they, they found out it doesn't do anything. It actually makes it worse. So let's look at the let's look at that in comparison to <clears throat> Was it Crestor or something like that. Some I think other it was things? Crestor. Yeah, well, Crestor I th- is Crestor blood pressure or is it cholesterol? It's cholesterol, but a lot of that stuff is just garbage. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just and you know, I mean, if you want to treat an illness, however you want to treat it, whose business is it? And some uh, you know, pretty much a government that doesn't even believe in what it stands for as far as a nation. Built under God, well, I don't really care what their opinion on anything in my life is about. And I don't think anybody else should as well. That's just my opinion. But well, I mean, we,
1: we've seen how they behave on pretty much every
0: issue. Yeah, I don't care. I mean... Taking any kind of notes from a bunch of mutants like that makes no sense to me. Seriously, <laughs> a, bunch,
1: a bunch of mutants. A bunch that's of a, mutants. That's. I think that's a pretty safe way to put that. Overeducated idiots. Well, one other thing happened um, during our hiatus that. I'm going to talk about a little bit before we go to a break, and we're, the, we're going to go get Justin Navari and bring him in. We're going to Skype him in from his home in Zanesville, Ohio, Zanes. where he where he always is because he doesn't venture out a whole whole bunch because he has a wife and three kids and a job that he works overnight. So there's not a lot of travel involved. It's mainly just boxing and food and the family. Um, I don't know how much you, I don't know how I don't know how much you ever listen to morning radio. Especially in the 90s and 2000s a lot of Stern, up. A lot of Stern. Well, then you'll you'll know the names I'm about to bring up.
0: Um, While Bubba was, Love Sponge. I listen to a lot of Love Sponge. Bubble was out of Florida, wasn't he? I, I lived in Florida. Yeah, I thought, and, he, I thought he was in the early 90s, Florida. so I, I listened to a lot of Bubble Love Sponge. He was really popular in the 90s and especially the 2000s because of his connection to professional wrestling. Yeah, I think. But I mean, some of the stuff on his show, like. Oh, he was off the wall. Fuck uh, You and Fuck You, too. That was pretty cool. <laughs> like the two little. The ninjas name that. Uh Fuck you! Oh, fuck you too! (laughs) Oh, fuck you too! A nice and a nice impromptu impression. I like that. That's good.
1: Well, during our hiatus, uh, one of the giants of talk radio in in the history of radio finally stepped away from the mic after 50 years on the air. Who's this? He is 78 years old, and on March 29th, we heard the last broadcast of Don Imus. And, oh,
0: Imus is done and Imus, Imus in the morning. Imus in the him. morning. Yeah, I listen to him. And, Going to school when I skip my bus.
1: You know, there there aren't many that can really claim that they did what Don Imus did in radio. for First of all, for a 50-year career, he got fired four times. He
0: got Donald Sterling on the last one, though. But you know what? He came back.
1: Yeah. He came back. And that shows you a staying power that is really quite remarkable because this is a culture now where you're generally speaking one and done. Oh, yeah. One and that's even if it's nothing serious. If a bunch of people on social media decide that it's serious, it goes completely berserk. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But he did an interview on his way out that amounted to an exit interview. And they asked him what he thought of his career. And he said, I think I'm one of the five best in the history of the business to to do this because he and I like his reasoning. He said, no one. No one has ever done what I've done for as long as I've done it, as well as I've done it, and made the money that I've made. He did it the longest, didn't he? So, what about I'm King? How long did the King do it? Well, who, Larry King? Yeah. Larry King did it for a long, long time, but he really didn't do a morning show, and he didn't do a yeah. show in the same vein. He was more of a straight one-hour set-down talk format than anything else. Yeah, that's true. But they asked him where he thought he was, and he said he thought he was in the top five. So Mm -hmm. the interviewer thought they'd throw him for a loop and said, okay, who else is in your top five? And despite a rivalry that lasted for 30 years, he put Howard Stern in the top five and said, "I, I think... Stern needs to be there because you can't deny what he's become. And that's saying a lot. But that's being a realist. That is. Yeah. And you have to remember how big talk radio was in the yeah. 1990s. It was that good. Was, talk radio in the 90s was the peak. I loved it. Because at the same time, it. you had Don Imus and Imus in the Morning nationally syndicated. You had Howard Stern nationally syndicated. Mm-hmm. You had the Bob and Tom show nationally Which syndicated. I to that too. Okay. Yeah. Think about all of that going on at the same time. Don Imus predates to a degree Stern, but he he sort of took his show in a bit of a direction that was a Stern derivative. After a while, he became a little bit more risque type, a little bit more to that. But he was always kind of the thinking man's Stern show because he did interviews at a higher level Mm -hmm. than Stern did in terms of who he brought in to talk to. But you had you had him, you had Stern, you had Bob and Tom. These are guys that predate Opie and Anthony in the 2000s in New York. Uh, They predate guys like Bubba the Love Sponge. There was a show called Kevin and Bean out in Los Angeles, and I'm not listening to a show where one of the co-hosts is named Bean, and that is just on pure principle. And even though I'm not a big fan of them, John Boy and Billy were around for a long time broadcasting out of Charlotte. I listened to them a little bit. It was more of yeah. a southern feel, but yeah. they, they, they weren't my cup of tea, but they were around. Mm-hmm. And the, Imus is one of these guys that was a pioneer and led people into it. And what's ironic about this now Is that people are going off on Howard Stern in the last year or year and a half Mm -hmm. because he has gone completely PC. Really? And you know what a turn when he left terrestrial radio and went to Sirius satellite radio. He sold his soul. Every well, everybody thought. Well, now there's no filter. You can do whatever you want. And you know what he did for a long time. They went completely berserk.
0: And I had that on. I had that Sirius XM radio, so I know Mm -hmm. what you're talking
1: about. And things went well. And then about a year and a half, two years ago, maybe a little longer now, he hired someone named Marcy Turk. and Marcy Turk has no background in radio. She's connected to a writer of a book on leadership or business place efficiency or something and it was someone that Howard knew brings her in and now she's coming in she became remember Gary Delabate? that was up? the producer not, Baba baboo not real yeah <laughs> he now has to report to her Ugh. okay after all the all the years if you want to talk to Howard if you want to even speak to Howard, you have to go through her. She has put herself into this position, and it's killing the show. People are listening. For, for Some of the best years of that show is when you had Howard, Robin, Fred Norris, Artie Lang.
0: Yeah, he's pretty good.
1: Jackie Martling. Mm-hmm. Artie's gone. Howard will not even speak to him. Really? Jackie? Now, and there was a split, and Artie had some drug issues, and and I get all that. Cocaine. Okay. But 10-plus years with that guy, and you won't even take his calls, so... Won't talk to Artie. Won't talk to Jackie. Mm -hmm. People are being forced out left and right. Benji Bronk has been removed from that show. And it's losing the voice that made it what it was. What made Howard Stern so good was he was fearless, even if you didn't like what he said. Yeah. Guys like Stern, guys like Don Imus, and to a lesser degree, Bob and Tom, because they carried
0: catered their show in a different direction. It was more palatable. I mean, you could have it, you know, where you right. don't have to really, like, make your kids not listen to it. Because there's some innuendos in there. But then again, you know, they don't have to understand it. Sure. But <laughs> these but these people were pioneers And
1: defenders and champions for free speech. Mm -hmm. Why would someone like Howard Stern start to bow down and cater to these people? The PC crowd has destroyed the prominence of free speech in this country because you're shamed for having the audacity to have an opinion. Because he's put his stuff on a pedestal. And that kind of stuff is why podcasting is such a big deal now. Mm -hmm. Because you don't have to listen to the FCC. And the PC crowd, you can just say, well, if you don't like it, don't download it. It's really not my problem. Yeah. And you, and that logic applies to TV and radio too but you can't just stumble upon a podcast. You can stumble upon something on TV or radio. But one thing that really stood out to me, two things about about Imus, before we take a break. Number one, uh, when he got married to his second wife, Deirdre who came in to be a guest on the show as a contest or something, ends up meeting her there and marries her two years later. Uh, when they got married... <laughs> she must have been hot. Eh, she's alright. When uh, she got it, <laughs> <laughs> she understood, I, I'd say that's probably it more than anything else. When they got married, they bought a ranch in New Mexico and set it up as a working ranch for kids with cancer. That's cool. And over the years, they put a couple of million dollars into it and they, they thought, how are we going to pay for the entirety of this thing? It's like thirty two hundred acres. Yeah. So that's huge. Somebody gave him wow. the idea. Why don't you sell commemorative acres to your listeners? Mm -hmm. He said, nobody's going to pay for an acre of land they don't actually get. I said, well, it's kids with cancer. Maybe they will. Yeah. They sold acres at $5,000 a piece.
0: It's kind of putting your name on a star.
1: They could not sell them quick. They couldn't answer the phone quick enough. Really? They have raised since that thing opened 20 some odd years ago. At one point, probably seven or eight years ago, the number was $50 million for kids with cancer. Wow. And it is probably closer to 100 now. And Imus fell off of a horse and injured himself, injured his lungs, and really couldn't breathe at that altitude anymore, so they had to stop running it. So he said, i want to put it up for sale, and we'll start the Imus Ranch Foundation. So all of that money that would have gone to the ranch will now go to charities that support the same mission for kids with cancer and helping them out that we had. So now all that money, 100%, goes to that. When he put the ranch up for sale, when it sells... All of that money, 100%, is going to go to that that Imus Ranch Foundation. Just found out it sold about a month ago for $12.5 million. Sweet. So all of that is going to go to those kids. And there are people who are criticizing it and how much of that money is going to the kids that we know of and all this stuff. People, how much of a finger are you lifting to go help kids with cancer right now? This is something that is completely selfless. It's an amazing thing to do, and him and his wife and that family, his brother Fred, who, who passed away a few years ago, and everyone who listened to that show knew him. They should really be applauded for everything that they did, and I think that's a big part of his legacy. Number two, that show was simulcast for years on C-SPAN and then on MSNBC and then on Fox Business Network. And the show, the show was good for the last two or three years, probably. But Imus was getting up there; he's in his mid late seventies. When the show was really good, it was when his newsman was still with him, and it was a guy named Charles McCord. Mm -hmm. There's never been anyone with a voice more suitable for doing radio than Charles McCord. And what made him so good was he was a consummate professional. But occasionally, he would have a complete, utter meltdown and just start screaming and losing his mind. And Imus would be stuck on something and wouldn't get off of it, and McCord would just flip out. On him for for doing it And a couple of them were caught On film and one of them is just Generally known to fans as the Whitaker Chambers incident and There's a a backstory to that And Whitaker Chambers was a guy that was a communist Spy in the 40s and 50s I believe and Defected came here Is that the Tinker Ta- uh, Taylor Soldier
0: movie Is that who that's about? I don't
1: know But a book an, a biography about him Won the book of the year award mm-hmm. In the 90s but they they were talking about that book, and Chambers, eventually, after he defected, came here, started working for, I think, Newsweek or one of those magazines, became an award-winning journalist, helped with investigations into people who were spies here. And one of those cases was the Alger Hiss case, who was found to be a communist mm-hmm. spy. And Richard Nixon was somehow mixed up in all of this, too, at one point. And, and that was the subject of the discussion that day. Well, I must wouldn't get off of it. And an hour later, McCord had had enough, and he just completely loses his mind and melts down. So that video is out there. And then there's one more. I have to check them out now. There's one more where they're interview. They're interviewing a guy from Newsweek. Newsweek's a pretty prominent publication. And. He he starts in again saying something stupid, and McCord just flips out and then references Whitaker Chambers and says, it's Whitaker Chambers all over again. (laughs) So on the episode page for this episode on our Apex Live podcast website, I'm going to put the two videos on there and embed it so everybody can watch it. But really, the biggest point of this is it's an era of talk radio that was – I'm not going to say it was the pinnacle because for all we know, it may get better in the future, but it's never been as good up to this point as it was when they were at their peak. And I know Imus and Stern didn't like each other, but they helped push each other Mm -hmm. to new heights and to do some great things. But more than anything, Imus was a guy who was always honest, whether you liked his opinion or not. And he's someone who championed free speech above all else. And for anyone who has worked in radio, for anyone who enjoys radio, anyone who likes to do anything in the broadcasting realm like I do and Steve like you do now, thank you, Don Imus. You are a true radio icon. You're a pioneer. And more than anything else, I know you wore that, uh, you wore that cowboy hat all the time. I can't think of more fitting attire for someone who was a pioneer like you were. He's going to be missed and he's not dead. But, no, but no, he's no. going to be missed as having that voice as prominent as it
0: was. Yeah, he, he has so, a good voice. Absolutely. And he was just such a good interviewer. Methodical type voice, you know, nice and kind of deep and type raspy, you know, bitingly sarcastic. Mm-hmm.
1: But he always had that that angle to him that you never knew it was coming out. So <laughs> greatly appreciate his work over the years. And you can find a lot of stuff of his on YouTube. But I'll put those two videos on the page for this episode on the Apex Live website. We're going to take a break when we come back. Justin Novaria joins us from his home in Ohio. He'll be on the spot, and we'll talk about boxing news. That's on the second half of episode 11 of Apex Live, right after this. I'll try almost anything. So when Mattel Electronics asked me to compare their Intellivision games with Atari, I gave it a try. I compared Atari Baseball with Intellivision, and found Intellivision played much more like real baseball. Then I compared Atari Football with Intellivision. Again, television, played more like the real game. In my opinion, if you try them both, there's only one conclusion you can come to. Intellivision from Mattel Electronics. Second half of episode 11 of Apex Live. I'm Brad, that's Steve. Hello. Joining us now from his home in Zanesville, Ohio... A return guest, it's the teddy bear, Justin Navaria. Justin, welcome back, my friend.
2: Thanks for having me back.
1: All right. so, last time you were here, you were in the midst of the pain and the suffering from dealing with the idiots in our State Athletic Commission and having a fight scrap 20 minutes before it was supposed to start, and it seems like it wasn't that long ago. That was like six months ago. It seems like a month ago. Jeez. Yeah. That kind of stupidity lingers... Well, the good news is it doesn't
2: seem like it was that long ago already.
1: No, it doesn't. And the sad thing is we haven't been able to do anything to correct it in recent months. But hopefully, hopefully something's going to come down the pike here soon and get you back in the ring and get some good things going. In the meantime, boxing has not slowed down. And we've had a few things going on recently in the world of boxing that have, boy, have they caused some trouble. One of them is we were supposed to have the Gennady Golovkin-Canelo Alvarez rematch. Canelo. And what happened? Canelo gets popped for a positive drug test for clenbuterol, and that's what has some people calling him Clenello now. And I really like that. That makes me happy. (laughs) And the end result is Triple G says, you know what? I'm going to fight anyway. I don't care what anybody does. If he doesn't want to fight me, fine. I'll fight somebody. So a few different opponents come down the line. Some of them say no. Some of them are turned down by the Athletic Commission. And he ends up fighting Vandis Martirosian, who was never a world beater. He was an Olympic team member for the United States a few years ago. Good fighter, though. And he's not bad. He's tall. He's durable. And what happens? Triple G goes in and positively annihilates him inside of two rounds. So, Justin, your thoughts on on the fight with Alvarez not happening and then what happened with Triple G and Martirosian?
2: Um, first off, I want to say a few years ago, it's been eighteen years since Vanus has been on the Olympic team. Can you believe that?
1: That's crazy. Oh my he was on the two thousand team?
2: Yeah, he was on the two thousand team. That was he before Andre Warden
1: Ward. Them. That was oh Andre my Ward God. was
2: two thousand and four.
1: Yeah, that was before Andre. Oh my
0: lord.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was he was with um Jason Estrada, Ron Seiler, um who else?
1: Oh, all of those big a names that went on to dominate. He was on the. No, Tarver was ninety six. He wasn't even on the Tarver team. Oh, um, he was on the yeah, team I, I would, with Jeff Lacy. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I would fact check myself real quick, but I don't. I don't want to accidentally close out your guys' call.
1: Not a problem. He was. On, I know for a fact he was on the team with Jeff Lacy. Um, because that was the team that someone that you and I both know, Gary Tony was the head coach of that team. Um, yeah, with USA Boxing, and I know Jeff was on that team because it, w- it was 2004. I guess whenever he had a belt and then got positively annihilated by did Joe Calzaghi. Holy!
0: When crap. did he fight Jones?
1: Yeah, uh, Lacy didn't fight Jones until what 2010. Yeah, that's what I was saying. He when something he got like Clowned that? real bad. Oh, that was <laughs> oh, that was just terrible. Well, the the real fun in boxing recently took place last weekend. We had a big show on ESPN, and we had a big show on HBO. And the main event on ESPN, and I love the fact that they put a fight this big. Bob Arum's doing good things right it was now. Nice. I don't care how old he is. And to put a fight this big on free TV on ESPN has just been huge for top-ranked boxing and a great thing for the boxing community. Uh, Vasily Lomachenko just... Gives more evidence to his claim as the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the sport, stopping Jorge Linares in 10 rounds to win the WBA lightweight championship. That's a jump up two divisions from where he started at 126. And that was a fight that, for me, there wasn't ever really any doubt. Okay, who's the most skilled of the two? Who's the one who's got the better pedigree of the two? Linares is good, though. The question was, as big and strong as Linares is. And, and he is a talented guy. He was always the one that was talked about as having all of the tools. There were times where he didn't put it all together, but he had all of the tools. So. Take that into consideration, as well as the size difference. How is Lomachenko going to deal with it? Mm-hmm. I don't care what the three judges at ringside said, because two of the three had absolutely absurd scorecards. One of them had it a draw going into the 10th round. One of them had it had, I believe, Lenaris ahead by a point going into the 10th round. And one had Lomachenko ahead. That was a fight that it it was a a statement for Lomachenko more than anything else, because he stood in the pocket. He made one mistake, got caught with a balance shot and got dropped. It happens because he got a little overconfident, got hit right on the button and dropped and popped right back up. And that was a first for him. And he called it a learning experience. But for him to come in and do what he did for nine out of those 10 rounds. He put on a clinic, stops Lenares with a liver shot. Steve, did you get to see that fight?
0: Yeah, I did watch that. Yep, I did.
1: What did you think of Lomachenko, not just in terms of winning the fight and winning another belt in another weight class, what did you think of how he dealt with the size of Linares? Is he, is he someone that you think needs to stay at 135 or does he need to go to 130 and tell guys like Gervonta Davis and the rest of them, hey, come down here and
0: get me? I would go to 30. I would, I'd go to 30 and I'd fight those guys at that. You know, I mean, he, he moved well. He's, his footwork is amazing. It doesn't matter how big his opponent is. Um, I like the fact that he took that straight right on a balance issue. Like you're saying, it was a hard shot. Right in the mouth. You know what I mean? But is anybody going to come fight him at 30? Davis is never going to fight him. It's already gotten to a point where he's having
1: to chase fighters now. The only reason the Linares fight happened is because Linares wanted to make it happen. He went out Mm -hmm. of his way to tell his promoter, I want this fight to happen. No one else is going to do it. Guys right now now are going to run from 35 to 40 Mm
0: -hmm.
1: to try to avoid fighting him. Justin, what do you think the future holds for Lomachenko?
2: I mean... It irritates me because everybody right now is talking about Mikey Garcia. Oh yeah, coming down to coming down to thirty five from forty. But I mean, he went to forty to fight Adrian Broner. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, he didn't beat a world beater in Adrian Broner. Adrian Broner is a good fighter, but Bu has a whole thread. He's a better man. He just he's he, yeah, he's wasted potential. He he could have been great, absolutely. But he's just he's never had the proper motivation. So everybody's talking about Mikey Garcia coming to thirty five to fight Lomachenko, but nobody's talking about Mikey Garcia has to get past Robert Easter first, and that annoys me, but to go back, I'm, I'm getting way off topic. That's I'm an ADD. intriguing fight but, for me,
1: though. Garcia yeah. and Robert Easter, I think, is a better fight than people give it credit for, because obviously Mikey is a better technical fighter than Easter, but Easter's got so much athleticism. He can make up some of that ground with that. That's a, I think oh, that's a he, better fight than people think.
2: He's a six foot one lightweight. That's crazy, isn't I that mean, p- sick? People, people don't understand that. I looked it up the other day, and he's got almost a ten inch reach advantage on Mikey Garcia.
1: But he's got to do it now because you know as well as I do. Just like De starting out at one thirty, he can't make that for very much longer.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. He was six one when when we were kids, and he was fighting one nineteen. So. That's freakish. we've We've been on several regional teams together. That's nuts, yeah. That is he was, absolutely he's, freakish. He's skin and bone. But like you
1: were saying, back, back to the line of reasoning we were getting into.
2: Yeah, back to Lomachenko. Um, I mean, the dude is a monster. He's we're getting a gift right now getting to watch him in this era because in 2030 years they're going to talk about him like he's one of the greats which i mean he is a very very good. He's like an Orlando Canizale is on steroids.
1: Well there's a difference like if, if you, between great and special. We this yeah. is a, this is a fighter that you look at and say just like a prime like 90 95 through 2001 or two Roy Jones. I am privileged to get to sit here and watch this guy fight because he is he fight. He does what Roy Jones did, which is he fights guys that are legitimate A and B level fighters and make them look ordinary. And that is scary to watch happen in the ring because we're dealing with a level of athlete now that didn't exist in the 40s and 50s and 60s with Sugar Ray Robinson. He got beat by, Ray Robinson was great, don't get me wrong, but he got beat by guys like Carmen Basilio and Rocky Graziano, who were face-first brawlers who just took a beating until you got tired, and then they beat you. Those guys are hard to deal with. What What in the world do you think Roy Jones would have done to Carmen Basilio? I mean, it would have lasted three you- rounds. <laughs>
2: yeah he had embarrassed him
1: exactly and and it's just it's a different level of of athleticism and of talent and of training and of knowledge of the sport. so when you see someone who's who in that world is doing this at three ninety seven and one as an amateur and then coming out and doing what he's doing as a pro, we need to appreciate every time he's in the ring, and the best part of that is yep. you've you've got top rank managing him, top rank promoting him. So we get to see him on free TV right now. We didn't get that kind of treatment in the '80s when boxing was on ABC, CBS, and NBC all the time. We didn't get that then. So to have that now is absolutely incredible for the boxing public.
2: Yeah, and one of the biggest differences I just want to point out real quick, between Roy and Vasile, Roy was so special because of his athleticism—he could do yes. freak things that people couldn't do. He Vassil did everything. Was so wrong. special. Yeah, Vasil's so special is because he's fighting on a completely different plane than in everybody else. He's seeing things differently. Like he's looking at a situation completely different than you or I would look at it. And he's just attacking it like with precise timing and efficiency. He doesn't waste a single movement. Like Roy would do flashy stuff and he was just he was outrageous to watch because he did shit like you, you can't do that and get away with it, but he got away with it, but then you've seen how that affected him as he got older. He
1: got away with he's, it until he didn't, <laughs> is what happened. Yeah,
2: and, and until he had to become a legitimate, like, skillful fighter, he wasn't elite anymore. He you still can, had boxing skill, yes. He fought at a very high level, but he was not, like, that over-the-top fighter that he was. Vasil, I believe, as he gets older, he's got that skill, and he's got that timing, and He's not doing everything wrong. He's doing it right. He's just doing it so right that nobody else can touch him.
1: Well, the thing about Lomachenko for me is that his skill level and his skill base, along with the fact that he stayed an amateur for so long, and even at the highest level, you're fighting three round fights. He is going to have a longevity because of that skill level that can extend almost indefinitely the same way that Bernard Hopkins did. You can argue that Roy Jones was a more technically sound fighter after his incredible athleticism started to decline and he had to be more skillful and and more basic. In, in the way that he fought because he couldn't do all those crazy special things anymore when he turned 40 or 41 and was still winning fights against b and c level fighters he was fighting more technically correct then than he ever did but that's because he couldn't do all the things that made him so special when he was going out and fighting an undefeated bryant brannan and wrecking him inside of two rounds on hbo and you thought bryant Brannon got shot five times and it didn't faze him, and he's an undefeated fighter, and now he just got destroyed on national television in his first major title yeah. fight. He did that to a lot of people, so th- you're yeah. right. That's one thing that is definitely uh, – that's the, bit, the major difference between those two is what he's able to do, but how he's able to do it. That's a major difference.
2: And I want to point out that Roy Jones hit his hands behind his back and dropped Virgil Hill.
1: Did it to Glenn Kelly, too. <laughs> yeah. Did it to Glenn Kelly, put his hands behind his back, hit him with a left hook on the ropes, and knocked him out.
2: It it was a right hand on Virgil, wasn't it? It was a right hand to the body right under the elbow? Uh, Or was it a left hook?
1: He stopped Virgil with a right hand to the body and broke, I think, one or two ribs in the fourth round. One shot and that and that 's the one that whenever he landed the punch, George Foreman was calling the fight on h b o and just started yelling unheard of <laughs> thought George you are not kidding, and then to see him go and win titles at one sixty 160, one sixty eight one seventy five two hundred and heavyweight. And and to yeah. win legitimate titles against legitimate fighters doing it, people can trash John Ruiz all they want.
0: Hey, Ruiz was a beast in Ruiz, was, time.
1: well, he wasn't a bad fighter. No. You know, he was never the big, great, entertaining fighter that, that everyone wants to horse. see as a heavyweight. Yeah. And he was a workhorse. He was never a big puncher. And I think what hurt him most is that most people never got the image of David Tua knocking him out in 18 <laughs> seconds out of their heads. So they never took him seriously. But he wasn't bad. And he hung in. And Roy Jones moved up and just positively embarrassed him and speaking of being embarrassed saddam ali stepped into the ring last saturday night on hbo after the lomachenko fight was over and he fought jaime munguia and you want to talk about a fight that did not go ali's way uh justin we were talking on facebook right as that fight was about to start and you asked me and you can verify this you asked me what i thought and i said i think i think munguia is going to knock him out because i think he's just too tall he's, he's too big What I didn't think is that he was going to go out and have Ali laying on his face 50 seconds into the fight. That was, that was a fight. and This is an important point because of everything that's happened in, in this month in boxing. Um, Munguia was supposed to be an opponent for Gennady Golovkin and the Nevada State Athletic Commission said no. They would not let him fight. Idiot. Munguia's, he's got a huge knockout percentage. He's undefeated. He's got height. He's got timing. That's government for you. If, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Okay. If, if they knew anything about the fighter they were approving or rejecting, that's a fight they should have allowed. So instead, and he goes over and says, OK, I'll fight Saddam Ali. And before we go any further, he is a legitimate middleweight in power, in size, everything. Saddam Ali, I know he won that WBO World Championship at 154 against Miguel Cotto. That doesn't make him a legitimate junior middleweight any more than Miguel Cotto was a legitimate junior middleweight at that point. But Ali yeah. said, you know what? I'll fight this guy. So I'll, even though I'm not a Saddam Ali fan, I'll give him credit because he stepped up and took the fight. Unfortunately, that's where the props end, because Mungia went out and wrecked him in four rounds. Just give me a little overview of what you thought of that fight, because we watched it live.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was, I know Ali was older, but it was like a man fighting a kid. <laughs> it was, it was just, it was bad. Yeah. I mean, Ali came out and you could tell he looked like he was going to try to box him at first and then he felt the power and he was like, Oh, fuck. that first made left mistake. hook,
1: that first left hook. When you saw it rock him, you thought, okay, this guy, this guy's pop is legitimate. There's no denying it now. But once you got into the second round and you, and Ali had a minute to kind of clear his head and, and maybe make a little bit of an adjustment. 30 seconds into the second round, you realized this fight's over now because Ali's getting hurt literally every time he gets touched. And that's what changed the fight. Yeah, it,
2: it was bad. I can't believe they let it go on that long. Because, yeah, every like you said, every time he touched him, he was hurting him. And it wasn't like a little just a shock, like how when Kelly Pavlik hit Sergio Martinez, you could tell Martinez was feeling the punches. It was right. like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> Fuck. And then he would eventually go down. Sorry, I know my vocabulary is not very it's deep. No, perfect. Perfect. It was.
1: <laughs> but you know what? He did? I'll just, give, give him credit. Bad. He kept getting up. And, and if it was up to him, he would have kept fighting all night. But that was another, another fight that's another prime example. And I hate this. We've had this discussion in the past. I hate when you have corners who try to be more brave than their fighter and you had a corner yeah. that was trying to be more brave than their fighter. Y- you've seen me stop fights, yeah. Justin. You've seen me do that in the corner. This was a corner that was trying to be too brave, a referee that wanted to stop the fight and let the corner and the doctor get in the way and not let him do it, and he ended up going out in the fourth round, and it didn't go a minute into the fourth round, but he ended up eating a bunch more shots and going down again, and it was completely unnecessary. And quite honestly, I think the New York Commission needs to, be, needs to review some things. Did they learn nothing from what happened To Magomed Abdusalamov a few years ago, because we were talking as that fight was going on live that night, and we were saying five and six rounds into the fight, are are you going to stop this thing or not? He's—I know he's answering back, but he's getting hit flush every time he throws a shot, and what happens is now he's confined to a bed for the rest of his life, and he'll he'll, he'll, probably—he'll—he'll likely never walk again. It's amazing what what they allowed, and then they all the brash big talk about all the things they're going to change what actually changed? Apparently nothing because they didn't learn anything from yeah. it or else they would have stopped that fight after two rounds.
2: I agree. Yeah, And he, they ruined, they didn't only ruin one career that night. They ruined two. Yes, they did. Because Mike Perez was never the same after that night either.
1: No, the next time Mike didn't fight again for a while. And when he got in there, there, there was nothing on the gas pedal. He was staying in third but gear he, the entire time.
2: Yeah. He fought Takam next, didn't he? Wasn't it? He fought Carlos Takam. That's right. And like a draw or like a real close decision I and it was a remember.
1: horrible fight just a terrible yeah, fight it,
2: it and was not the mike perez that just put a man in a hospital bed that's for sure no it was then he goes on to fight pavectin and it was just awful but, but let me get back to the fight we we're talking about real quick add kicking in again it happens um yeah, the corner, I mean, they should be smart enough. You have a guy that got stopped by Jesse Vargas. I mean, I'm not dissing Jesse Vargas, but Jesse Vargas is not a puncher at 147.
1: He's no more of a puncher at 47 than Mike Perez was against Abdusalamov, And that's what the problem was in that fight. And I did, I did want to make this point. Magomed Abdusalamov probably wouldn't have gotten hurt if Mike Perez was a puncher that could hit like Lennox Lewis or one of the Klitschkos because it would have been done in two or three yeah. rounds. But he ate 10 rounds of yeah. it. And that's why when you have a fight like this and someone's getting hit not only flush, but they're hitting getting hit repeatedly by someone who can who can legitimately knock almost anyone out, you cannot let that go on round after round. And like you said, yeah. this, this guy got stopped by someone who's not a puncher, and that was a bad knockout when Jesse knocked him out. That that was a clean KO, and now you're you're just going to sit here and let it happen again against a guy that you know is bigger and has a knockout ratio that big.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was it was nuts. You could tell. The um the ref was looking for it when he stopped. It, he was just waiting for Ali to give him an excuse, and he jumped. and He should have did it around earlier, but yeah, Gary Rosado way, wanted Re- to Reese stop
1: Rockers. it. He wanted to stop it yeah, in the f- way- at the third round, and they wouldn't let him do it. And as soon as that first series of shots landed, by the time Ali hit the ground, he was already waving it off. But he wanted it stopped earlier, and I think it's gonna it's gonna bother him because he's a he's a good official. It's gonna bother him that he didn't stick up a little harder and and not stop that after three. Quite honestly, I think we're lucky as a sport that it didn't end up worse than it did because yeah. that could have been terrible. Yeah, that could have been real.
2: Yeah, bad. we're very lucky. Steve Smoger wasn't refereeing
1: if steve Smoger would have been the referee we'd still the fight would still be happening now and it's been six days (laughs) somebody could be dead and he's standing over top of him going you feel all right can you continue step toward me that's all he does and i love steve Smoger because we've gotten great fights out of it but you know that happens so before we go to the next segment what do you think about a potential
0: triple g jaime Mungia fight steve you first um i'm interested to see uh how uh Mungia would come at him if he's gonna be as aggressive because he seems like he's a younger brash really pushy type fighter like that. But then again, watching some of the shots he was hitting Ali with, he was extremely aggressive, but his hands were very low, very open for uh, you know, counter check left. Absolutely. That the Russian style overhand right, uh I mean I don't know I, I I'm kind of interested to see who's going to take the step back. Well, he counted he
1: counted so much especially against Saddam cuz Saddam's not a big guy even at 47. No. He counted so much on that height. He wasn't really all that concerned, it didn't seem like, yeah, about just,
0: anything coming back. He's going to saw him. That's what he's going to do. Well, everything yeah. was two or
1: three inches short. Yeah. I think Ali, we talked about this during the fight, Justin, he kept trying to throw that big left hook and catch him coming in, and he hit him with two yeah. or three of them, and it had no effect, and that's when he pretty well knew he was done. But the fact that it was that open for something like that to happen... Reveals a little bit of a weakness and it shows you there's something there that can be capitalized on. And I can assure you, Golovkin is not the one that you want to teach you that you have a defensive liability to get encountered by a power puncher. And yeah. believe me, the master of distance, the two best fighters I've seen managing distance in the last 15 or 20 years are Lomachenko and Golovkin. And if anybody's going to pick up on that and the timing of it with Abel Sanchez, it's Gennady Golovkin. So that could be fun. How do you see the fight?
2: I mean, I see it being a war because I think the kid's got legitimate power. Oh, absolutely. And, and it mean, commands
1: respect. If and, That kind of power commands respect.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's he stopped um, Paul Venezuela Jr., who's technically like a nobody, but he's been on TV a couple times. He's fought Silky Wilky camp for it. If you guys know that name and Tony Harrison, who was actually a big up and comer until Willie Nelson stopped it. Willie destroyed um, his
1: career, but you're right. He's kind of a, he's a gatekeeper. He's not an A-level guy, but he's a gatekeeper. He's what, and he's a step below what Antoine Eccles was for a few years.
2: Yeah. I mean, he fought both those guys went the distance with both those guys. And he's a legitimate, like Venezuela juniors fought all the way up to super middleweight and he's not a small guy. And, um, McGuire, or however the hell you were saying his name, I can't say (laughs) it, but um, I call him Jamie Magua, but anyway... That's all I'm going to call him now. Yeah, (laughs) Jamie Magua, Magua, he stopped him in the second round, so I mean, his power is legitimate. His power is not because he was beating up a small Saddam Ali. I see it being a back-and-forth war, but I see him losing, because you can only take so much punishment, and that kid didn't really show... A very efficient defense. He he was just kind of, I'm going to walk you down. I'm going to destroy you. And that's what Gennady Golovkin does. But I think Gennady Golovkin does it a little bit better because he does have that sneaky, efficient, distance based defense that a lot of guys underestimate.
1: I agree. 100%. 100%.
2: So I see Glovkin knocking him out like round seven in what is a very, very entertaining fight. And I hope that Glovkin and Clinello fight again so Glovkin can knock him out before G is like forty five and then Clinello's <laughs> coming after him like, Oh, hey, let's fight now.
0: Well you know that's what he's waiting on. See Clint, I, yeah. I like Clinelo I like uh, Clinelo. Clonelo, yeah. But I also like uh Canello as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's <laughs> he's a good cheater too.
0: And that's, that's I good. made that up, so it was I, a, I need this.
1: It was an easy out. It was an easy out to not have to take the fight, and I think that's the question on everybody's mind: Are we going to see the rematch at some point in the in the near future that that keeps the
0: fight relevant? Or I'd like to see Jaime uh, or is that the next have fight? fight Canelo? That's who I want to see. I want to mm-hmm. see that. As
1: accurate as Canelo is, he would eat a lot of leather from from Canelo early, but he he's not going to taste the power as much as he would. Winner that gets with Triple Golubkin. G. But you know what? They need to yeah, be but, fighting to decide who, who fights Golovkin, because he's the one who's fighting anybody at this point. The problem is, if we've got somebody who's willing to fight Golovkin right now, we need to make that fight, because everyone's avoiding him the same way they're Spike avoiding one. I don't want
2: him. <laughs> no. Did you see who they made? Um, I can't say his name. Hame Mamaga. Did you see who they made his uh, mandatory already, though? Who's oh, that? No. I didn't check
0: it out. Who's it? Lemieux? Yeah, uh
2: Beefy? No, Beefy, Liam
0: Smith. Oh, oh, okay.
1: Oh, see now that was the fight. It was supposed to be Saddam Ali against Liam Smith and then Liam got hurt and Mogia was he was the replacement. So it makes sense that they're going to allow that fight to be Liam Smith against Mogia, but that's not going to end any better because no. we saw what happened when Canelo fought him. Yeah, I
2: mean, it'll be a, Different. it'll be an exciting fight. I don't mean to cut you off Steve. It'll be oh, no, a super good. duper exciting fight because um, Liam Smith he has that I'm gonna stand in front of you I'm gonna bang your body I'm gonna bang your head and that Maluya he just or however I can't that was say closest the
0: closest one you did
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm awful I'm awful when it comes to pronouncing shit that
0: shit's not but, easy um,
2: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but any anyway those two, that's going to be a very, very fun fight to watch because they're probably going to stand in the middle of the ring and just beat the shit out of each other.
1: Guaranteed. Yeah. And, and that's a that. that's a classic Mexico versus Ir- Ireland fight. That is a classic matchup for a war. And no matter how it ends up, the ones who win are the fans. Mexico across the pond. That's what it is. Well, and if you have a fight like that that's a war and somebody looks vulnerable, but they look like they can go in and compete and do some good things on the high level, The marketing for the fight with Golovkin or Canelo Alvarez, either one, it all takes care of itself. It's a it's a perfect scenario for boxing, especially in that one fifty four one sixty area for at least the next six, nine, twelve months of business in the sport. So I'm a big fan of that. That's what's going on in boxing. But we have a new segment on the show. What is it? What is it? Teddy Bear? Finish up.
2: Oh, I was just going to say the winner will fight G and the loser will fight Canelo. You know, that's how it's going to go down.
1: So we're going to have a winner's and a loser's bracket, like playing intramural basketball? I don't care if Canelo fights again. Seriously, I really don't.
2: Basically.
1: The only reason he's going to get to fight again and get all these second chances is because of the money he generates.
0: I know. That's that bottom line. But still, I mean, it's just what sucks is that asterisk. You know, I mean, who knows how many times he's been on Clint? To cut the weight and still be as big as he is. Every time. Every time. When you have
2: Oscar De La Hoya basically made a statement, well, you need to fight him or I'll find somebody else who will. Talking to G about Canelo, that's when you know shit's up. Like, why are you pushing so hard for this when you didn't keep your boy clean to fight in the first place and you missed the date? It's not G's fault you missed the date. It's your boy's fault you missed the date. So why are you trying to strong arm G into taking this fight?
0: They all I'm know what he's on.
2: There.
0: They all know what he's on. It's, I mean, you know, it's, yeah. that level of athlete, he's scared anyway, so. I think
1: Fishnets yeah. needs uh, to stay in his lane and get back in rehab. Fishnets. Quite honestly. He needs to go
0: fight uh, Shaquille O'Neal again. <laughs> that was, was Mosley that, that, that fought Shaq. Changed, no, he did too. What, in the parking lot? They had a celebrity boxing match way back in the day. I'm going
1: to need to see some documentation on that. I'll just show you. I'm going to need to see that, because I know Mosley did on Shaq versus. Don't let me get one over on the <laughs> great Brad Cooper. If they did, I mean, if they did, I, it's something I'm not aware of, and that would be great. While Steve's looking that up, we have a new segment on the show, and it's called On the Spot. And we're going to do a nice in-depth profile on people who we have coming in as guests. Sometimes it'll be when they're a guest here already. Just like you are. Well, sure enough, they sure did. How about that? Sept- oh, September of 09 Man, that was right before. Was that after or before Pacquiao, Justin? I Talking about think
2: that was after. I think that's after. Is I think when Pacqu- he got
1: Marquez. I think Pacquiao was 2008. No, when did he get Marquez?
2: Yeah, because because Hatton was 2009. That's wasn't right.
1: He? Yeah, yeah. Hatton was definitely 2009, and then Cotto was right at the end, right after that. Yeah, we're we are I, I think so right. ADHD right now. My
2: wow. God, yeah. But we oh, gonna- I was wrong on veins, by the way. It was two thousand four. Two thousand was Jermaine Taylor, Jeff Lacy, right? Um, those guys. So he was Calvin the O four Baum. team.
1: So that was he was with Andre. It's still a while ago. That's, that's yeah. Still a he long was time. with Andre
2: and Ron Siler. I had all the names right. I just had the I had the date wrong. That's well, My
1: bad. Well, you're a youngin', so <laughs> it it happens. You have to get all those things lined up. Okay. I've been punched a lot. That's true. <laughs> our new segment is called On the Spot. It's, we're going to do an in-depth interview with people who may already be here as guests, like Justin is tonight, or may just bring them in to do the interview on our own. Or, as we found out last week, we may just ambush people and start interviewing them against their consent. <sighs> Man on the street. Are you ready to be put on the spot?
2: I am absolutely ready to be put on the spot.
1: Very cool. <laughs> now, you you turned pro in 2009. And it's amazing that you've been fighting professionally for right in the neighborhood of nine years, but you've been boxing for a lot longer than that. Tell me a little bit about how you started in boxing when you were growing up and then what you were able to do as an amateur, because you had some pretty impressive amateur accomplishments.
2: Oh, yeah. Amateur was a lot of fun. Um, Basically, I was a super duper obese kid and um, my parents split up and my parents split up basically and my mom's new boyfriend who basically became my stepfather Fred he's a super fitness freak like he's in his 70s now still and like can bench over 300 okay okay, that's impressive he's gonna be the toughest he's gonna be the 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 toughest
1: bar fighter at the nursing home my goodness
2: (laughs) yeah yeah. no I don't think he's ever gonna die he's super old and he's still (laughs)
0: 70 is not super old for 300 pound bench press pretty damn good
2: yeah Really like you is. would never be able to tell by looking at him, but anyway, um, he was super into fitness and stuff. And I mean, I was this little eleven-year-old kid. I was I was in the high twos when I was eleven. I was like probably two sixty, two seventy, like five foot four, five foot five. But anyway, he let me start working out in his basement to like so we could bond basically and help me get in shape because let's face it, I probably would have been on my way to an early twenties heart attack. But because I mean, I stress eight and stuff because my parents and all that fun stuff, but sure teach their own everyone copes different so i started working out in his basement and he had a heavy bag and i really liked hitting it and he happened to live not even a block away from the pal so he took me into the pal which is police athletically he gets youth boxing program and he took me into the pal and i just loved it I absolutely soaked it up 11 years old and um i got into that and all suddenly my dad was just like oh yeah yeah we're gonna get you a fight yeah and all this but well, your dad was, was
1: into racing, wasn't he?
2: Yeah he he was a um, dirt track, circle track guy, dirt oh. track late models.
1: Right. So, so he was into racing. But you talked about how your stepdad was the one who who kind of got you in this direction with the heavy bag and everything. Did he have any background in boxing at all, or did he just have a heavy bag for fitness purposes?
2: Just heavy bag for fitness purposes. I mean, he liked um he liked boxing. And when he, I think he was in the Navy way back when he said like they put on gloves and stuff and they would mess around, but nothing ever, ever serious. Sure. But he just had a heavy bag to stay in shape and stuff. And he would hold it for me. And he was like, Oh yeah, man. He's like, you got fast hands and stuff. And we just got to talking. And I mean, I loved boxing and because of Rocky.
1: Well, of course, every,
2: every, every little kid, but anyway, every little um, kid
1: that's born in the nineties loves a movie made in 1976. <laughs> hey i mean rocky's timeless i i agree with you 100 percent. rocky's timeless
2: but yeah so i got in i got into the pal through him and then once i got into the pal my dad was suddenly like oh yeah yeah we're going to do this we're going to do that and tim seen i had zero athletic ability whatsoever i was not athletic at all and tim the head coach at the pal right. seen that but he seen that i was working my ass off like I wanted this more than i had ever wanted anything in my life. But my dad wants to brag to his friends, Oh let's, Tim, we need to get him a fight. He's ready to fight. He's been in here five months. He's ready to fight. Da, 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 da. But there's not any other eleven year old kids that are my like my weight. Right. So we lie about my my age. We say I'm thirteen. I fight a fifteen year old who happened that we didn't know at the time, who happened to be ranked nationally. I mean, he wasn't super duper good or anything, but I mean, he had been to the national tournament stuff. His name was Josh Baker. I, yeah, I believe Baker was his last name.
1: And you were how old 11. at this point? You were eleven.
2: I was I was eleven. And he was fifteen, but Holy we said sense. I was thirteen <laughs> so I could so I could take the fight. Right. I fought him in East Liverpool. Johnny the Macho Midget Bailey was my referee. Oh,
1: <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: Yeah. And basically, this kid just comes out, steamrolls me. Like, I go down in the first 15 seconds. Of course, I get up. I've never had any quit in me. Never I go never down was. like 20 seconds later. All he's doing is just, he's barreling at me with one twos, but I wasn't ready and I knew I wasn't ready. And, um, the only person that, knew, that didn't think I wasn't ready is my dad. Right. And, um, I mean, cause Tim knew I wasn't ready. I end up, I go down three times in the first round and I lose. And then after that, like, dad's, like, oh, you don't need to box anymore all this and Tim takes me aside uh-huh. and he's like I know you love this let's let's keep at it let's keep going and eventually long story short oh what a span all the way to 2008 I end up winning five national titles I was as a junior as a junior but in the senior division of juniors which is 15 16 years old I got ranked as high as unofficially number 1 in the magazine the USA Boxing magazine I was number 2 for 2 years behind Alex Rivera and then behind Nick Kisner for 1 and then and as an open male which is 17 and up like 17 through 40 I was ranked as high as number 4 I what was my amateur record? Without any walkovers or anything, I think my amateur record, I was like 85 and 36. And then with walkovers, the number jumps like drastically. Sure.
1: Oh, that's um, that's a serious amount of yeah. amateur experience, especially when you're not in Russia, when you're not in Las Vegas or Chicago or Houston, one of those amateur boxing mainstays. That's an amazing amount of experience to have especially in your age group because you you didn't fight amateurs all the way through adulthood you stopped when you were 18 so yeah. let you know let's first of all how many times you won the ohio state fair which i mean that is the pinnacle of amateur boxing in the united states you can have ringside worlds all you want winning the ohio state fair is the deal in amateur boxing how many you did you win it twice or three times
2: i won it three times That's i won I it the year that it was the biggest national tournament ever. There had nine hundred, nine hundred entrants. It was the year, the same year that the Ringside Worlds decided they were going to start. Right. Was that was the last year of like the big Ohio State Fair. They had three rings running, and um, I think it was two thousand four, either two thousand four or two thousand five. Mm-hmm. But it, my my first one was when they had they were the biggest. I won it then, and then I missed it. The next year, because I got a job and I had to work, right? And I was sixteen. I mean, my parents were like, "Oh, you're sixteen. Get a job now, bub." That lasted like a month, <laughs> but a month, a month to miss, a month to miss that state fair. And then I won it in oh, okay, I won it oh four, oh five, and oh seven, and I missed oh six.
1: That's pretty serious. What was the job that you worked for a month? I've got to know.
2: I worked at Long Basket Company, package pickup. I catered to like rich old ladies that bought stuff. I had to go to the different areas and pick up their stuff and bring it back to my main area. Then they would, when they were getting ready to get on their bus, they would give me their little ticket and their little snod face and be like, I am to get this. And I'd have to go get it for them and walk it.
1: And that lasted a delivery. month and you decided you'd had enough.
2: Yeah, because they were making me—they were making me pick work or boxing. And at that time in my life, boxing—it was it. Like they were like, "Well, you can't have these days off. You have to work." I was like, "Well, we ha- we fight almost every weekend. I can't work these days." So sure. they were like, "Well, you need to choose." So I was like, "See ya."
1: Well, and you're sixteen. You only get to yeah. be 16 once. You've got the rest of your life to work away like a slave, like Steve yep. was
2: saying. But because I'm 16, it limited the days I could work as well, which made the weekends. Like, oh, yeah, work the weekends because you got school and all this stuff. So,
1: So you get to 2009 yeah. and you decide, I've accomplished everything I can accomplish as an amateur. I've made the very clear and simple... An honest decision that I'm going to go pro. Is that exactly how it worked out?
2: Basically, I got tired of getting beat up for free. Yeah, As <laughs> when I when I when I started fighting an open men's division, I had my first open men's fight at 16 years old because the date of determination fell after my birthday. Right. But the tournament hadn't went on yet, so technically by the time we made it to nationals, it was it was the first year they called the US men's the Future Stars tournament. I don't know if it's still the Future Stars tournament or not.
1: I don't know if it is or not.
2: But but that's when it was and I had my first open men's fight then and I fought a six foot five, three hundred and forty pound giant in Cincinnati named Charles Smiley. Oh
1: screw and that. I realized
2: men hit a whole lot harder than children do. <laughs>
1: Well, that it was just yeah, especially when you're not yeah, getting it, paid for it.
2: Yeah, it was it was bad. And then so I fought tournament after tournament, fight after fight, as an open male. And it, eventually, I turned 18, and I, I had a couple more fights after I was 18. But I fought a guy named Tommy Poe. who he only had two amateur boxing matches, but he was an MMA guy because at that time, MMA was like the hot thing. Mm, it was right. rising like crazy. And, I mean, he was just built. He was probably 30 years old, and um, and we went to war. We went to war. This is – you could still fight four-round fights. It was four two-minute rounds. Okay. We were a main event on a card. And, um, and I mean, we went to war for four rounds, and we got to talking afterwards. He's like, yeah. He's like, man, he's like, I just wanted to get three fights. I'm going pro. I was like, you're going pro? He's like, yeah. He's like, I got a guy that he'll pay me $1,000 for my first four-round fight, and if I keep winning, he said, he'll keep paying me more. And then we'll make some big money together. I was like, well, shit, I need to do that. And that's basically a spark from there. I got t- I was getting hit by these monsters for free. We were waiting around for the Olympics. But, I mean, yeah, it doesn't it, not to. Yeah,
1: but, you know, as well as I do, that amateur boxing is more corrupt than professional boxing. Oh, is. Yeah. And if you're not on if you're not from the West Coast, you can forget being on the the Olympic team unless you literally go in and knock everyone out. And it's been that way for quite a few years. So you decide to go pro. You've got your pro debut in August of 2009 against Paul Zalas. Tell me a little bit about what you felt like going into that first fight.
2: I mean, I felt good. Um, I managed to get fat before before the fight. And then Tim comes to me and he says, you can't be that big going into this fight. I want you to lose 30 pounds. So I lose 30 pounds in a month prior to that fight. I weighed in at two fifty nine, which I think is still like one of my lowest. In of a, my
1: pro- you lost thirty pounds in a month.
2: Oh, that's nothing for me. I can I can fluctuate weight like nobody's business. Oh but yeah, I lost goodness. thirty pounds in a month.
1: Well, that's outrageous. But you went in, yeah. took the fight that was in Butler, Pennsylvania.
2: Yeah, took the fight. We thought he was going to be um, be this big wild man. We looked him up. We've seen some of his fights. He was one and zero, um, and just the reality of the pro game hit me like can I dunno, like a big old cock I guess, just slapped me right <laughs> across the face. And um
1: So a nice hoagie slap sp- right on the forehead.
2: Yeah, basically <laughs> yeah. He just mushroom stamp mm-hmm. But yeah, he um it was just it was bad. He hit hard. The gloves were smaller, so you felt more of it. There's no headgear. That took some adjusting because Tim wouldn't sure. let us spar without headgear. Mm-hmm. So I hate headgear. That, that took a lot of adjusting. And um, Steve hates headgear.
1: Oh, Steve yeah. just is repulsed by the concept of it.
2: Once you get used to no headgear, it is great. It's wonderful. You have more peripherals. You can do slicker things with your head. Like I headbutt people a lot, and they don't even realize I'm headbutting them. <laughs> but Without without headgear, it's a completely different ballgame. And I still – people that were at that debut to this day tell me that I was the much better boxer. And I landed a lot of sneaky shots, and I did a lot of stuff that they just – they could tell there was skill there. I was just – I was a child fighting a full-grown man. Sure. And I didn't understand it at the time. Everybody's like, well, you don't have your man strength yet. I was like, I'm 18. I've been doing this since I was 11 years old. What do you mean I don't have my man strength? I know what I'm doing. But – in reality, I didn't really know what I was doing, because if I was smart, I would have waited. I wouldn't have fought a guy of that stature. I would have fought somebody softer as my debut. Well, the government you know I mean?
1: the government I mean, says that you're an adult, so obviously I'm ready to go in and fight grown people. The government says yeah. I'm 18, so I'm an adult, so I must be an adult. It works that way. So, okay, that one didn't go your way. The first time that I ever encountered you was the first fu- first fight that you had with Kevin Franklin in Morgantown in August of 2011. And looking back, considering how few fights you had had, I can't believe they sanctioned that to be a six-round fight, but they did. Kevin ended up dropping you a couple of times in that fight, and I'd never met you, never seen you, and I came away that night incredibly impressed with the skill that you showed. But again, that was another fight that even two years later, after your debut, I could still tell... Your youth was was still present. You didn't have your man strength yet, but you you showed a lot more than I expected from someone that supposedly had the record that you had coming into the fight, because you were 0-3 or 0-4 coming into that fight. But I remember that fight incredibly well. Then we go into a fight in January of 2012, and you fought Jeremiah Williams, who at that point was winless, and you fought him in Elizabeth, Indiana at a casino. And that was the first time that you acquainted yourself with getting robbed, In professional boxing. Tell me about that fight with Jeremiah.
2: It was bad. Um, Took the fight, semi-short notice for Kurt Allen. Super good guy. One of the best guys I've met in boxing yet. He boxed until uh, he was
1: about 50, didn't he? 50 or 55?
2: He was was 49, I think, that night (laughs) when he fought Butterbean.
1: Yes. And he fought after that in Indiana. He fought a couple of times after that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean he's a real good dude, real nice guy, but we went into the fight. Um, Jeremiah was 0 and eight at the time. We knew he was durable. He had fought some good guys. This was my first time with Joey only in my corner.
1: Oh I thought we, I didn't uh, I didn't know that Tim wasn't with you that night.
2: No, Tim wasn't with me. It was me and Joey. Okay. And uh me and Tim had I mean, we've always been cool, but we'd split ways. I'd I i was not working out with him anymore. I'd opened hands of stone, which was my own boxing gym. Right. And um and I taught Joey how to be a corner, and he was in the corner when I fought Kevin the first time we ever we ever met. Right. But he was just a second, so this was his first official official go. So me and him, we knew we knew it was a winnable fight. We knew the guy was durable. Our plan was to box, and that's what we did. And um, I go out in the first round. I still remember it pretty vivid. I land a double jab on his forehead because he has like this weird shell defense, kind of like a. A bad, big, winky right, and, um, and I landed two on the top of his forehead, right over top of his gloves, because he tried to show up. And then he, like, when I knocked his head back, it raised his elbows up, and I landed a right hand right to his gut. And I remember thinking, man, I can win this fight. This is a very winnable fight. Sure. And, um, and he touched me maybe twice clean in that entire round. I probably only landed, like, maybe 10 or 12 clean shots myself. But it was a lot more effective than than what he was landing and sit down joey's going crazy in the corner oh yeah man we can win this we're we're going whoop this motherfucker i'm like joey take out my mouthpiece (laughs) 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 he takes out my mouthpiece and then he just continues yeah 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 we're we got it we got it just keep doing what you're doing keep pressuring this that and the other and um Puts my mouthpiece back in. It has a giant glob of Vaseline on it. <laughs>
1: oh god, Joey, you're better than that. I bite that.
2: down on it. Yeah, we we joke around about it all the time. Bite down on it, nice and squishy. <laughs> but basically, go out and rounds two, three, and four are more of the same. Except he's clinching me a lot more. Anytime I get close, and I'm working my free hand in the clinch because the ref was ref wasn't breaking it up. So I'm basically, I'm just hitting him with one one arm. I'm, stand, I'm standing in the middle of my room, like, throwing punches right now. You guys can't see it. So um, I'm working my free arm the entire time we're clenched and stuff, and I just outwork him. He lands maybe 12 punches clean the entire fight. And I lose a majority decision. No, it was just, and garbage. I was like, "Oh man, that that's just awful." Everyone came up to me after the fight. They're like, "Oh, you you did so much better." He's like, "You won that fight. You got robbed. This, that, and that other." And I mean, it just took a downward spiral from there.
1: See, already at this point, I didn't even I didn't know you that well. I knew who you were. I remembered you from whenever you fought Kevin the first time. But it's so evident, at least looking back. How different things could have been for you had you been managed correctly from the beginning and you really never had that opportunity. And that that didn't happen even for a short period of time until much later down the road. But we encountered each other again a little later that year. You fought Kevin Franklin again in Logan, which was a really interesting place for that fight to take place. And then yeah. you fought John Hill and you, you gave Kevin a seriously tough fight in that rematch. I thought, I thought it was a closer fight the second time than it was the first, the fight with John. He knocked you down in the first round, but it was nip and tuck the whole way that fight too. And I'm John, I worked in Kevin's corner for the second fight. I worked in John's corner for that fight, uh, working against you. Cause we didn't really know each other at that point. And seeing the growth that you had just just being a pro, and there's a meaning whenever you say that somebody's being a pro in this sport, the growth that you showed just coming into those fights was so apparent, and I knew that you had something coming just around the corner if you could get the right break, and that break came about a month later because you went to Madison and fought a joker named Jason Harbin and got your first win. What do you remember most about that first win against Harbin?
2: Um, I remember I knocked him down. He got up, called me a pussy, said he was ready to fight, and quit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Didn't didn't it look like he yeah. slipped on the third knockdown or something? Or And it was just – or there uh, were there three was, knockdowns. Only, you only knocked him down once, and then he he got up and said something and then turned around and walked away.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was jacked. We come out. I can tell you the whole fight. It only lasted about a minute. Come out. Um,
1: He's not kidding. I don't
0: doubt that.
2: No, I, I, I jab high. I jab high. I throw a right hand to the body, which is my favorite punch in the world two straight downstairs i can land it almost whenever i want i might eat a left hook sometimes but i can land it whenever i want and um i do that boom and then he flurries on me like this weird tough man flurry and i show up and i walk through it and i decide all right we're going to fight now and i walk him to the ropes i land a right hand um i don't know if it's balance or what but if you look at it he goes down very weirdly.
1: It was an awkward claimed, knockdown from from the feet up. It just looked weird.
2: Yeah, like, he claims it was a push, but I never pushed him. Like, yeah. you can tell in the yeah. video, it wasn't a push, it was a punch.
1: You pushed him with your but, fist.
2: Um, yeah, with my fist in his face, yeah. And he went down, and I was jacked. I mean, it was my first knockdown. I was like, yeah, so so I'd, I let out a yell, like, yeah, and I, like, do a little circle, and then I run to the neutral corner because I'm excited. Well, you didn't, and, let's um, be
1: honest, you didn't run, you jogged.
2: Yeah, I jog. I I don't run. I've never seen
1: you sprint, ever. Not once. The house could be on fire and you're jogging
2: out. Yeah. Come on, kids. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. yeah, no, basically, he went down. It was weird. He got up and he's yelling at me in the neutral corner, not even paying attention to the referee. He's like, come on, puss. Come on, puss. And uh they walk him over to the corner to get his mouthpiece back in because his mouthpiece came out on the way down and they wave it off he quit in the he quit in the corner and um wouldn't make eye contact with me wouldn't even stay in the ring while got my hand raised he just stormed out and left
0: he curd him up and
2: it was and he yeah, never never fought was, again
1: he never fought no, again. never fought again. Well, I can see why, because he really didn't even fight that night. But you know what? He stepped in there, he ate some leather, and you got to win. We're not going to cover every fight. We're just going to hit some of your key ones before we hit the uh, the rapid fire well, questions. Well, I bet you guys the first time. Gotcha. Uh, you fought Jermaine Walker and dropped a, a six-round split decision, a fight that you changed your strategy about halfway through or after a couple of rounds. But I didn't corner that one with you, but I, I, I thought at worst that was a draw. I thought you fought really, really well that night. And then you go in and get your second professional win. And that was the night that we started working together. And I'll tell a little bit about how that one started. Uh, At that point, our friend Chase Hill was still doing a lot of stuff in boxing. And he had, what was it? Was it called the Lights Out Boxing Gym in Madison? Is that what he called that thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he
2: called it Lights Out. So
1: he had the Lights Out Boxing Gym in Madison and called everybody to come in. He had you under contract at that point and was going to try to yeah. help you build your record up a little bit. So he called everybody to come down and spar. And you drove down from Zanesville, and and I got to see you there because I brought Dave down and – and we all worked together because there were a few people fighting on that show coming up because I had Jason Smith fighting that night and who else? I had John Hill fighting against Greg Maynard that night.
0: I was that, fighting, that was man, coming up. Was that was cool.
1: an, that was the craziest one-round fight I've ever seen in my life and I was in the corner yeah. for it. But we were... I, I saw you and said hello and talked to you for, for a minute and you asked me who I was cornering and I told you and you said, oh, good. You asked me if I was working with Deskins and I said, no. And you said, oh, good. It'll be nice to finally have a fight in West Virginia and you're not in the other corner coaching against me. <laughs> and I... I said, well, if you need me in the corner, I'll be more than happy to corner for you. And you said that you would like that. So our first fight together was you against then undefeated 1-0 Matt Deskins. And you went in and did something to Matt Deskins that essentially ruined his reputation as a professional fighter in the greater Boone County, Logan area in West Virginia. Because you beat him to a point that you collapsed one of his lungs with your body attack and ended up brutalizing him over a fight that lasted three rounds, but it must have felt like ten. And Matt's a great dude, but that fight went terribly wrong from the very beginning. And after the first round, you came back to the corner, and I said, keep attacking his body, look for uppercuts when they're there, and you're going to chop him down and knock him out. And that is still one of the most impressive performances of your career, Justin.
2: I mean, they forced me to get in shape. Matt said, I'm not fighting you unless you're 260 pounds, and I was like 290, and I was like, well, shit, if you want me to get in shape, I will get in shape and fight you, <laughs> and that's that's what I did.
1: Well, the best way to get you angry is to tell you you're not allowed to eat.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, that was, that was bad, and then I was pissed off at him after the fight too well i was i was really mad because i fasted like a day before the fight because i was right there i was right i was like at 262 the day before the fight so i didn't eat for like a day and a half before the fight and then after weigh-ins me and my wife went to b-dubs and i ate like two bites of a wing and immediately i could feel myself i was about to have the shits or oh, my, oh my body man. wasn't ready and oh, i was so awful. angry I had all this food in front of me and I couldn't eat it. I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna fucking kill him." I'm gonna take that out on desk I had it. Yeah, up. it was so it was so bad. And then and then I got mad at him after the fight because he had to he had to leave in a freaking ambulance. It's like, come on, oh, made me hurt you. Like, how how just,
1: dare you <laughs> leave in an ambulance? You ought to walk out here under your own power with your half a lung and your broken ribs. Well, Carry yourself I, out I of here like that. a man, Matt Deskins.
2: I don't mean it like that. I mean it like, man, you made me have to fucking hurt <laughs> you. Why, why, why you, why you do it like that? We're not, being, no, we're not, not being, super.
1: we're not being mean to Matt Deskins. Matt, Matt's such a cool dude.
2: Matt's a super good guy. He's talked to me plenty of times after the fight, told me that I'm his boy's favorite fighter, and even admits it's a little bit hard to swallow that he's not his own son's favorite fighter. But it's just it's awesome that, that they followed me after that. And um, any time I have a fight coming up, he hits me up. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, good luck. I hope you do good. Uh, yeah, he's a big fan. He's yeah, become I
1: very mean, complimentary. That's absolutely correct. He,
2: yeah, he and he's a warrior. I beat on him. I mean, the first round... I I set a decent pace, and he matched the pace. But like I said, again, he forced me to get in shape. And I don't want to sound arrogant or anything, but when you make me get in shape, I can fucking fight. And, um, <laughs> Absolutely. The second round, I picked up the pace a little bit, and he kind of stayed where he was at. And you could tell by the end of the second, he was aghast really bad. Right. And then I, I forget exactly what was said in the corner between you and Chris, but I remember it was something along the lines of like, we're there, we can win this. Just keep doing what you're doing, but a switch, and you can you can see it on the tape. A switch in my mind flips. It's like, all right, it's time to hit the fucking gas. It was Kilmer. We're going to do it.
1: You went into Kilmer. We're mode. going to
2: do it now. Yeah, and I landed a long range right uppercut from. Like, I think in like the first five or ten seconds of the third round, and then just from then on, it's just an onslaught.
1: I'm sorry. It wasn't kill He'll mode. Me. It's die mode because you start you start yelling die with every punch you land. <laughs>
2: yeah. I love yeah, that. Yeah, die
1: mode. We've only got two or three more fights that I, w- I really want to cover. You fought Mike Shepard. You fought Josh Tufty. Both of those were fights where you stepped back. You showed a lot of skill. Mike is just Mike a Shepherd. power – He's <laughs> Mike Shepard, and he's a power-punching mon- monster. And Josh Tufte – is a seriously underrated skilled heavyweight if he had any if he had more power than he does it's really remarkable to think of what he could do in the heavyweight division but he just never really had the pop to hang in so we go to 2013 and I get a phone call from Steve Neal from Signal 12 Gym in Fayetteville here in southern West Virginia and he's doing a show uh, here in the southern part of the state and they were wanting to match up Jonah Cogar with Adam Oaks and they get a couple of weeks out from the fight and Adam Oaks just stops answering the phone, won't sign a contract, won't talk to anybody. And he calls me with a few days before the event and says, do you have anybody that will fight Jonah Coger fairly cheap and and, and will come down here and actually fight? And I thought, hey, that's a fight. We can get us a W. Because at this point, I was cornering you for quite a few fights at this point. yeah, And you came in and I said, he'll, he'll fight him for expense money for the most part. And, and that was music to Steve's ears. He's oh, yeah, we're going to go do this. So you come down to fight Jonah Coger on short notice. Jonah's a lefty, which is not something you particularly like to see at that point. And we worked on a game plan for a couple of days, really drilled it before the fight. You come out, knock Jonah down once, get a standing eight count on him. Beat him all over the ring. I don't know if he's fought again since then. And you get a big win. And that that probably is my favorite fight that you and I have had together in, in the years that we've been doing this. Fast forward 12 days later, and you get to encounter George Euler in yeah. Madison. And uh, Justin, do you know who was in the corner for George Euler that night, by the way? um, No, I don't remember. Steve, who was it? It was me. <laughs> was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice that was before i <laughs> was knew awesome. steve i didn't know steve then
0: no so yeah he was in the other quarter that night
1: and my i
2: did not know that
0: i didn't let him sit down on his stool at the end of the first round I was like you didn't do shit you have to stand <laughs> and he stood <laughs> Steve Randolph, awesome. the master motivator.
1: So I, I remember you said you you told me you get to pick the entrance music for this fight. So we came out to the ring to play that funky music, White Boy, uh-huh. and who, by White Cherry, I think is the name of that band or something. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. So we came out to the ring. We went a four round decision. The memory of that fight is about 30 seconds left in the fight. You all are tied up on the ropes directly over our corner. And you, in the middle of a clinch, get in George Euler's ear and say, don't worry, I'm tired, too. (laughs) Which makes me and James Armstrong lose our minds laughing. James is the ring announcer for all the Black Eye Promotions fights. The clinch breaks, and then you go into die mode and land about 14 unanswered shots on the ropes and knock him down. And then the bell rings just as he gets up, and Mm -hmm. you win a four-round decision. We're not going to get into the Travis Clark foul fest in Weirton. We've already talked about the Sean Conway foolishness. That video, by the way, is posted on the episode page. From the, from, uh, episode nine. Was that, that we the one did. in Pennsylvania? That's the Greg uh, Serb incident. The, the entire fight video is posted on the page for episode nine. So anybody that wants to see that can see it. We had the Justin Howes fight, which you took on short notice and competed very, very well. We're going to talk a, just for a second. How good did it feel to score that one punch classic knockout over Pearl Dotson? And that'll be the last fight.
0: Oh, you want to, you, uh, Marquez him that the was, one where you murdered him.
1: Yeah, Ma- that'd be the one, Marquez. And we're going to put the <laughs> highlight of that one on the episode page too for this episode because I'm not going to put the whole fight up. I'm just going to put Jerry Davis's highlight clip on it, and it'll become immediately nice. apparent why I'm putting Jerry Davis's highlight on it because Jerry's reaction like, is fantastic.
2: Like yes, it will.
1: <laughs> so uh, you you came into that fight. I didn't get to be there, but I called you in. The locker room for that fight because I was traveling and I called you and we yes. talked about a couple of things and I said, set him up and counter him and look for that overhand right and you're going to blast him. I didn't think you would do that to him, but we talked about the I game didn't plan. For, I do that. To him. Well, we spent four weeks talking about game plan for that fight and foot placement and trying to get him set up and breaking his rhythm. But we talked about that right hand and then I talked to you before the fight that night and then I get a call from Dave and he tells me. I still don't think it Pearl's awake yet. And I thought, did he really <laughs> knock him out that bad? Then you send me the video of what what you did. How did you set up that shot? And uh, how did you feel whenever you landed it and realized he wasn't getting up? This is a guy that had a record at that point. He was what eight and three, eight mm-hmm. three and one. He was
2: uh, he was nine and he was nine and four. OK, Yeah, he was he was a nine and four at the time coming off a of first round stoppage uh, over that J.J. Armstrong guy. See,
1: that's see, that's right, because he had he came back and fought Keith Barr and that went poorly in a round and then had that fight with J.J. J.J. Stewart, the MMA guy from Virginia and yeah. stopped him sure. in Huntington. And then he fought you. And that was a fight that was supposed to happen after the Sean Conway fight. And but you broke your hand on Sean's head. So yeah. all this comes down the pike and you come out for that second round. What did you see in relation to what we had talked about and how did you pull it off? And then how did you feel whenever he went down on his face?
2: I mean, I heard him. I heard him at the very end of the first round. I landed over an overhand right. I managed to, to slip out to my right a little bit and I just caught him on top of the forehead with a right hand. And he, and he was hurt, and at the time, I didn't understand how hurt he was, but watching the video, you can tell that he never recovers going into the second round. But, um, no, com, coming into the second round, I just, I set a nice steady rhythm. I was planning on having a six-round freaking grueling fight, because me and Pearl, we're not very different when it comes to, like, style-wise. He's a little oh, he's more of a plotter than I am. I'm a I'm a mover for a big guy, but he has but, that Steve uh,
1: Dotson technique. I mean, he's he's a pretty technically sound guy, but he wasn't a big yeah. puncher. He was just somebody that was going to set there a lot more than you were. You have you have more active feet than he did, and that's what set up a lot yeah. of stuff that happened in those two rounds.
2: Yeah, and and that's what I mean by we're very similar. Neither one of us were big punchers. I don't consider myself a big puncher at all, especially for a heavyweight. Well, you've got those little uh, T
1: Rex arms.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, can't generate much um, inertia or velocity or I don't know some scientific term. It's, it's like.
1: force equals mass times acceleration. Is velocity.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean we'll just we we'll edit that part out so I don't sound like an idiot, right? I'll figure, uh, I'll bleep it. or, or He's going to turn the volume up. Actually, <laughs> yeah, just just censor it, like dub over some scientist talking.
0: I can. But, do that. Um,
2: No, anyway, yeah, we come out for that second round, and yeah, I know ADD is taking over again. We come out for that second round, and um, I just I set a nice steady rhythm. I'm not trying to punch myself out. I'm planning on a six-round fight. I'm not planning on an early knockout. And um, he's firing a jab downstairs, and he's leaving himself open up top. And so I did exactly what we were talking about, and I, I come over top with the right hand, and it shakes him a little bit. And I'm catching angles. Like, I'm, I'm skating out left, skating out right, just seeing what's there. And um, then I hurt him about a minute into the round. I actually hurt him with the right hand, and I press him back into the ropes And I flurry on him, boom, boom, boom. Then I take a step out, and I throw a leaping left hook. And he blocks it off, so I take a couple steps back and let him walk off the ropes. Well, as soon as he walks off the ropes, I see him throwing a lazy jab. He's throwing it from his belly. So without even thinking, I just throw a right hand, and it lands on that temple. And I'm getting ready to throw another punch. Like, if you watch the video, you see me rushing forward. And he just he falls like a freaking trees. Boom. He really and did. And it was surreal. Awful. I didn't know what was happening at first. I was like, what the hell just happened? And then I realized I just knocked somebody out. And I was like, Yeah, I just knocked somebody out. <laughs> and then I was like, shit, I like Pearl. And um, because me and Pearl, we, we've always talked, we've always been cool. So it was kinda like one of those things, what's going on? Fuck yeah, I just knocked somebody out. Oh shit, I like that guy. And <laughs> that I mean that that's in,
1: really what happened.
2: Yeah, all in a span of like five seconds. So so yeah, I got the win. I'm like fuck yeah, I got this win, but at the same time, I'm like, shit, I hope Pearl's okay. And on the video, it looks like I knock him out and just leave, but in reality, I'm getting out of the ring to go over to the side where his head's at, and I'm apologizing to his wife. No, the, no, the, the video
1: does not look like you're leaving. The video looks like you are racing to his side to check on him, and then Dave comes over, and he's like, let the doctors work on him because you just iced him in front of his hometown, <laughs> which you did. And yeah, his wife was... his. Wife wife, as soon as he went down, you can see her kind of step around to the other side of the ring and yell at him to get up and after a couple of times yeah. realizes, Yeah, he's not getting up. And no, it was, I can't it believe was he I can't believe it. he didn't fight did he fight any more after that? That was his last no, fight. I it? think that was the last he, one.
2: Yeah, he retired.
1: Yeah, because he fought well, there was one more in the middle there. Right Travis before he Clark. fought you, he fought Travis Clark and he got hit with one left hook and his eye puffed up like he had a throw pillow inserted underneath it and they stopped it after a round yeah, and, then and you ended his career and that, that was terrible
2: That fights why I didn't think I was going to stop Pearl because Travis Clark he, he can punch pretty hard with his forearms his fists his elbows and his head he hits hard with all of them
1: oh yeah and and, it doesn't matter where either head, body is that the marine genitals yeah. Uh, Travis is the guy. Is the ball? Oh, dude, he's the dick covered, with tattoos, covered yeah. in tattoos all over the yeah, place. A, and now yeah. does this, and He now he does the tough man video for Jerry. Yeah, but that was that was a huge win for you. It got you a bunch of points on Box Rec, and it it was a big win over a guy with a a really good record. And it's it's something that I think is repeatable as soon as we can get you moving again, career wise. Because it's it's time to get you back in there. Are you ready for a few rapid fire questions? Go for it. All right, just just off the cuff. Let's see what you got. Since your debut in two thousand nine, what has changed the most for you in boxing?
2: I've gotten extremely fat.
1: <laughs> That's your biggest change,
2: yeah, I mean, um, I've gotten a lot better at dealing with pressure, mm-hmm. and i've my style has changed drastically. You watch that first fight with Paul Zalis. I'm real light on my feet. I move, I punch a lot. A lot of wasted movements, a lot of wasted energy. I was still fighting like an amateur. Right. If you watch me fight now, you're like, holy shit, this guy's lazy. Is he going to do anything? But re- really what I'm doing is I'm waiting for my opportunity to punch without wasting any any energy. So, yeah, my, I would probably say my style. Get the comedy out of the way. My style's changed.
1: Well, we can accept both. Yeah. whats What's been your proudest accomplishment? I, you've done a ton of the stuff in the amateurs. What's been your proudest accomplishment as a pro?
2: As a pro, probably the Joshua Tufty fight. Um, I mean, it's not really accomplishment. I lost, mm-hmm. but he told me for two rounds I was the best fighter that he ever faced, and I had the entire crowd. Pat Nelson was the announcer for that fight. Don't ask me why, but he announced my record. I was two and twelve one into that fight, and he announced me as the man with literally nothing to lose with a record of two and twelve. That's
1: Pat Nelson. That's Pat Nelson, and, um, Pat yeah, Nelson.
2: He, and he did that. Good and belief. um and the whole place laughed at me. Ha, ha ha! Two and twelve. Like the people sitting beside my wife and stuff were calling me teabag. This was before the fight started though, and um and she said they got up and left like midway through the second round. Wow! Because she was wearing her teddy bear shirt and stuff, and and they kind of seen that and they seen that I could actually fight. Sure. And um and just after that fight, everybody come up to me, oh man, that was a great fight. That was awesome. You're a hell of a fighter and all this and Josh actually came to me after the fight. And he was like, "Man, he was like, I do not know how you are two and 12." He was like, "But I was worried for those first two rounds." And I was like, "Yeah, I was like, I'm not sure who was fighting for me, <laughs> but but I had a lot of fun." And because literally that fight, I worked a half a day. It was on a Friday. I worked a half a day and then drove to Wheeling. Like I got off work, picked up my wife and drove to Wheeling. And took my work boots off, took my pants off, pulled my trunks on, got my hands wrapped, and fought the current, at that time, NABF heavyweight champion, and just gave him the fight of his life. It was the fight of my life. Probably my best performance as a professional. Well, It well, was just so much fun.
1: For me, the best performance was the one that came right after that, and that was the Jonah Coger fight, because it was it was against a lefty that you didn't know on short notice lefties automatically got in your head you were coming I off the Tufty fight and the confidence was there from that and then you went in and let it out in that fight and started a, a two fight win streak you went two and two in a four fight span but you look at who you fought and how you did it was it was tremendous for you and that's one that's always stood out for me but I think it was building off of that Tufty fight what's been the biggest letdown for you as a pro?
2: the biggest letdown this is an easy one that would have to be the Conway fight
1: mm. absolutely Absolutely, and that because was I, highway I thought
2: I, I thought I pushed through that fight with a broken hand I thought I won I was landing body shots I was landing jabs I was missing my right hands on purpose I will not deny that because every time I connected even on accident it hurt like a son of a bitch but It was I setting up I the hook though through. Yeah, I thought I pushed through and I thought I won that fight and then to have the first card announced 40, 36 Novera and then this little fucking midget comes out of nowhere, steals the cards, runs off to some fucking corner, comes back. We made a mistake. And then I lose the next two cards, thirty nine, thirty seven. I mean, I was like, what the fuck just happened? That was.
1: Th- I've I've been in this stuff a long time, and I've never seen anything quite like that before in person. And hope I never do again. But you can thank Greg Serb for that. What fight have you had that you didn't expect to be as tough and as difficult as it was that turned out to be that way unexpectedly so?
2: Um, I mean, I go into every fight thinking it's going to be a war, but probably I didn't expect the Germain fight to go the way it did. Right. That's the first fight I actually let the crowd get in my head. Sure. and Because I outboxed him for two rounds. Oh, you sure did. I don't sure think did. Deny that either. No, you I, outboxed I him,
1: and boxing. then you went in and tried to get more aggressive, and it, it didn't go your way after that as much. Yeah.
2: The, and you allowed it
1: to be yeah. closer than it should have been.
2: Yeah, the middle of the second round, um, I heard the crowd booing because I was boxing him. I wasn't getting close to him. I was hitting him when I wanted to hit him. And um, it it probably was. It was probably a boring fight to watch, <laughs> and they started booing. And I heard it and I had some of my students that I trained at my gym at the time were there watching me as well. I remember and that. it just it went to my head and I was like fuck this. And I started stalking forward, which you know I don't fight moving forward. No. And um started trying to land power shots, which you know I'm not a power guy. I still thought I won the fight, but Oh, it was I ended a, up it was a draw at worst.
1: Step. I agree. Um yeah. fun fact about that night, there were I think thirteen or fourteen fights on that. On that card, I worked five of them <laughs> that night. Nice. I won a couple of championship belts, amateurs, but my goodness, that That's... was just, oh, that was a very difficult night. That was a night Dave fought Jason Smith. What fight of yours, just, just give me the fight, would you put in the time capsule for people to watch of yours? What's your time capsule fight?
2: Just one fight? Yes. Matt Deskins.
1: That'd be that'd be good. What's a fight that didn't happen that you want that you wanted to happen? You wish that it did, but it never happened.
2: Luke Loins.
1: Uh, yeah, and you know who you can blame for that one. Methamphetamine. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, the fight was uh, supposed to happen in Williamson, and then it didn't.
0: Oh, no, JP, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> that, we already know that, though. Yeah. Bingo. Uh, what's a fight? Can you, you tattoo a turd? <laughs> <laughs> I like to get it. I like to shit and then get a JP tattoo on a turd. That'd I'm gonna tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little story. <laughs> this isn't defamation of character. It's
1: just true. It's true. Um, this is a fight that happened up in Parkersburg a couple mu- about a month ago, a month and a half ago. There was an amateur fighter, and he'd fought a few times, and they're now making inspectors sign off on cotton hand wraps for Tough Man Fighters. And it, explaining why that's stupid The raps with See, them. Justin's laughing I, mean, <sighs> I can't even go into the reasons Why that doesn't make any sense But they're making them do that now And this guy is just furious Because he he's trying to deal with this And it's an annoyance And he said, man, I can't stand some of the people on this commission Some of them are just completely out of control And I said, really? Anybody in particular? He said, yeah, that bald one That's standing out there by ringside And I, I didn't say a word And he said, yeah, I had to deal with him at the park tough man. You know what I told him? I told him that it's good that he has a shaved head, and he has a little point on top of it, because now he looks exactly like what he is, a dick. (laughs) And I said, well, I don't know who you are, sir, but I hope you win your fight tonight, because that was hilarious.
2: That's awesome.
1: What fight did you take that, looking back, if you could retroactively reject it, you would say no to?
2: Um, Lee McGinnis.
1: Oh, the tough, the world tough man champion.
2: Yeah, I fought him with a separated AC. I don't know if anybody knows that. Justin, I didn't
1: know that. Oh, why did you do that?
2: I was I was training MMA fighters at the time, and I got judo tossed and landed on my right shoulder, and um, my 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 AC was (laughs) separated. It was like eight millimeters or something like that. It it didn't. It doesn't sound like a lot, but what when I was at the doctor, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was at the doctor, they were like, "Oh, how are you? Not like doubled over in pain? This is ridiculous. How'd you put your shirt on?" I was like, "I'm not a pussy."
1: Well, you still but, took um, him. You still took him four rounds, though, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I took him until I think it got like Tim Wheeler waved it off after a knockdown, like two minutes and forty seconds into the fourth round.
1: Yeah, it, I know it was right toward the end, but yeah, I can I yeah. can see that. Was that is that one that you'd like to have another shot at, or you would just go back and retroactively say no?
2: I would love to fight him right now. He's like four hundred pounds. Yeah, now.
1: we saw we saw him at the Travis Clark fight in Weirton, and my goodness, he didn't yeah. even look like the same guy. I know this is narrowed down to two. I just want to know right right off the top of your head, which one you would pick? What's been your most bizarre moment in boxing? Is it the Conway fight or is it the Williamson incident?
2: Oh, most bizarre moment. Um probably, yeah. I would probably have to say the Conway fight.
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree. As, b- mean, as bad Williams- as Williamson was.
2: Yeah. But the Conway fight, I've never seen a commissioner a commissioner, a deputy, like the head the head shit, not like a deputy or not like someone appointed, the commissioner of the entire fucking state, jump in the ring and steal the scorecards from an announcer ever before oh, in my life. It,
1: it, you cannot come up with a scenario more crooked than that. You just can't what's the most important outstanding goal that you still have in boxing for what you'd like to accomplish? What's the one thing that you've not done that you would really like to do?
2: Um, I mean, shit, I don't know. I mean, everybody wants to win a minor title, but sure. I'm a realist. I'm way beyond that.
1: Eh, Uh, Not necessarily. There, there are ways for you to win a title. It's just going to be a matter of making it happen. But yeah, let's do it. Is that
2: probably it?
1: You'd like to win a, probably I'm,
2: Win a minor title or knock out Luke Loins.
1: <laughs> you re- you're not gonna rest until you get your shot to do that.
2: No, because we were supposed to fight so many different times. That's true. Like he said no he said no a bunch and then um I got a phone call that like, hey, are you retired? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm super fat. I haven't been training and they were like, Oh, well, Luke Loins is looking for a fight. I said, I'll take it. and and of course they agreed because i said i was fat and out of shape which i was it wasn't a lie i mean hell i do these stupid dance videos on Fridays, and i'm winded by the end of them and they're only a minute long
1: yeah there are there is nothing like your your uh friday dance videos i will say that where can we find where can people find those if they want to see them just on facebook or are they on snapchat too
2: no just on my facebook um Justin Navera, N-O-V-A-R-I-A. Check me out. <laughs> Just kidding. I got him a step really in
0: a, a mud hole for you. By the way, they're Luke Lyons. <laughs> 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 we went up there and uh, hung out with them for a little while.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we went up there and sparred with some of Corky's guys, and uh, I think we performed extremely well in those spar sessions with Melvin and with Luke and and whoever that amateur was that they had. What's nice. the What's the worst job that you've ever had?
2: The worst job I've ever had. Pro- I was a cable technician for a while. I remember it paid that. Paid really, really good, but I would leave for work at five thirty in the morning, and I would still be installing cable in people's houses at like ten thirty at night.
1: Didn't I used to help you with your time sheets for that job?
2: You did. Yes, I thought because so. They refused. Like they refused to um, show me how to do the shit. Like myself, trying to rip you off. Um, yeah, trying to do. That's I, what I, it was. I didn't. I, I didn't have the software needed in order to do my daily logs, so like I would do them when I went into work in the morning, but on my day off, they would want me to drive all the way to Columbus, which is 70 miles from my house, which is where I worked and do my timesheet. so instead of doing that i would just i would save the shit and email it to myself on my phone and then i would send that to brad and brad would <laughs> i would tell him all my shit and he would fill it out for me and I'd send it back to me and then i'd email it to my boss i had forgotten
1: Damn. about that until you just mentioned that what's your dream job you could have any dream job what is it
2: um Man, I don't know if I should answer it serious or if I should be comedic about it because I would love to be a fluffer that gets like the girls wet for porn. That's right. But
0: <laughs> I'd do that.
2: But I would, I would re- realistically, because I have a wife and she would like cut my dick off, what little <laughs> bit I have, um, if I ever took a job as a fluffer. So fluffer. I really, 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 really enjoy fabricating uh, metal trim for like metal roofing and stuff. I've had that uh-huh. job twice in my life and both times the companies have went under and, but that's been my favorite job in the world. So if I had to pick, I would probably do that again.
1: That's cool. What's your, uh, what was your favorite part of childhood?
2: My favorite part of childhood was I had two the racetrack. I loved going to the races with my dad. And then like from Early adolescence to like late teen, like when me and my wife started dating around sixteen, was the skating rink. And that's probably why I'm so agile as well, because I skated Lomachenko. Skated, 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 skated,
1: skated. Yeah, that's your that's your version of Lomachenko and the <laughs> and, and the traditional Russian dance. That's pretty cool. Um, if you could live inside of any one movie, which one would you live in? Oh
2: damn it. Um I would probably any one movie. See, there's there's so many different ones. I'm just I'm gonna have to shoot off top. Um, I just seen um, Ready Player One. I feel like that'd be super neat. That's a good I, movie.
1: That's think, a good pick. That's a great book and Ready a good Ready movie. What's something that people think about you that isn't true?
2: Um, a lot of people like just looking at me assume I'm an asshole. I mean, I am to a point, but like they just think I'm really—they think I'm mean. I'm blunt. I'm not an asshole. I just—I'll tell you how I feel. You were the least
1: but. mean and angry person I have ever known.
2: <laughs> See, and people—they look at me and they're like, "Man, I don't want to fuck with that guy." But really, I'm—I'm I'm not like that. Now, so you're docile. probably that. Yeah,
1: you're docile. Okay.
2: I just like to make people smile. That's—that's that's like my main goal in life is make. Make the world smile.
1: And, you yeah, know, we need more of that. There's not nearly enough of it. Okay, so, and that kind of unintentionally flows into the next question. What do you think is society's biggest problem?
2: Society's biggest problem is everybody's pretentious assholes. Like yes. Every, like, 90% of the world, I'm not going to say the world, 90% of the United states is so much about me, 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 me. How can I get ahead? How can I do this? How can I do that? And it's not about like, oh, man, how are you doing? Are you doing all right? Everything good in your life? Or how have you been? Like, everybody's so worried about telling other people what's going wrong in their life. And nobody's worried about sharing the good stuff. Nobody's worried about making the world smile anymore. So it's all, no, it's, it's, right. all it's all selfish. It's all selfish. Yeah.
1: What's your primary strength?
2: <sighs> like just in general in life? Yeah. What,
1: what, what would you say is your biggest strength?
2: I don't give a shit. What's your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is that I don't give a shit. <laughs> that's, that's, you
1: know what I though that the, that's an interesting approach. That's the whole point of doing this. What's the worst car you've ever owned?
2: The worst car I've ever owned. I had a um, 1997 Monte Carlo that we bought off of one of my mom's boyfriend's friends. That oh, they said it was a steal. Had a rod knocking.
1: Yeah, they were stealing from me.
2: yeah, it was it was a steal, them stealing my money. Indeed. And um uh, had a rod knocking, but that wasn't the worst part of it. The headlights would decide they didn't want to work randomly. It had like a short. <laughs> and I just dropped Brittany off, my wife, from homecoming, a seventeen year old kid, and she lives in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like, you guys probably understand that. Being, <laughs> Gee, you know, thanks. Being out there. Yeah. I mean, hey, West Virginia <laughs> has stereotypes.
1: We have some rural <laughs> places. We do. But we're not in one right now. There are stereotypes or truths.
2: In some yeah. places. <laughs> but, yeah, she, she lives in the middle of nowhere. And I'm leaving. And now, subsequently, this story is the reason that there's a bridge on her mom's road named oh, Justin no. Bridge.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. I,
2: I was driving my Monte Carlo, just dropped her off from homecoming. It's pitch black out. There's no streetlights or anything because it's a a rural road. And um, it's a little concrete bridge going over a creek. And the headlights decide to go out as a deer is running in front of me. Oh, my god! I hit this deer. Not hard enough to kill it. Deer was okay, dickhead.
1: Oh, thank God.
2: And, yeah, and I... I missed the bridge. I drive off the side of the bridge and wind up on my side. That car was such a piece of shit.
1: <laughs> oh Lord. If you could pick any day that you've ever had to be your personal groundhog day, the day you've got to live over and over and over again, what would it be? That's
2: a tough one. Um, hmm. It would probably, I don't, I don't know. Cause so much like, just that one day. I never get to proceed past that day.
1: Nope, just like the movie. And the movie he eventually did, but you know, you, he had to live it so many times.
2: Gotcha. And then I would pro- I would pick today.
1: Hmm. Any particular reason?
2: Yeah, because if I go back, like if I go too far back, not all three of my kids are going to be in that day. Um if I go too far back, some of the memories that I have right now won't have existed, and I have some great memories. Um, just in the past couple of days, like last week, my daughter um, scored a couple of game-winning RBIs in her softball game. I'd love to remember that. I wouldn't want to forget that. She was so happy. And so I would just I would pick my most current moment, especially if I could change how the day goes over the repeatance of it, or repetence. however the fuck, I don't know, <laughs> the day repeating, however I could change it as many times as it repeats
1: well and that was the would, whole, that was the whole point of the movie and i i really like your answer on that that's that's impressive and that's a that's a great way to to think about that i can't believe how old she's getting i can't believe she's already playing softball
2: i know little oh, prick that- she's seven.
1: Oh, i cannot believe she- how old she is now
2: I know she used to be like a little ankle biter running around my gym and taking pictures with me and stuff. And well, I mean, we I used to, to be, play.
1: we used to be going to, uh, oh, where was it? We, we'd go to Eaton park after fights and we'd go there and she was, you know, just kind of like tucked over in the corner and barely talking. And now she's doing all this. And, oh, yeah. that's, that's incredible. Who it's has been, yeah. Who's been the most unexpected, unexpected, major influence in your life and i'm talking about outside of your immediate family yeah i know i know tim is almost expected because of how many years he spent and once you went to that gym the first day that was just going to be that way and and he turned into being a real father figure there but who's the most unexpected major influence in your life somebody that's been been a big influence that you never would have really seen coming
2: I mean, as sappy as it sounds, and I'm not saying it to be sappy, but probably you, sir. Really? Yeah, I mean, because it, was, it wasn't expected at all. We oh, just I agree with that. Up and, and I mean, and we've had so many like deep discussions, and I've came to you with life problems and just stuff that you didn't have to let me bounce off of you, and you've just always been there for me, and... I mean, so, yeah, so probably you, you've, you've helped me a lot more than you'll ever understand. And I appreciate it more than you'll ever understand. But yeah, thank you. That's probably my answer.
1: Thank you. That was completely unexpected. Thank you, man. You are, I've been able, I've had the freedom to bring a lot of things to you over the years too. And I've done everything from, from talk about life issues in both directions with you to sending you excerpts of of my writing you sending me stuff that you've done creative writing on and I've done some editing and stuff and and you've really and I, and I mean this I'm, this is not some, something I say lightly you have become family to me and there are not many people oh. who advance to that level so to hear you say that means a great deal to me Thank you very much that means a lot
2: oh no I mean it, it's the truth man no, no problem favorite musical artist. The Wood Brothers.
1: I thought they were a NASCAR team in the 1980s. Favorite favorite I
2: mean, fa- <laughs> favorite song. Oh, my favorite song, man. You you know how I am with music. Um, you gotta pick one. Give me something. I'll just I'll go ahead and I'll pick a Wood Brothers song. Postcards from Hell.
1: That I I've never heard it, and now I'm afraid to listen <laughs> to it.
2: Uh, oh, it it is a wonderful wonderful favorite song. Favorite film. Favorite film. Um, gotta go with Days of Thunder.
1: Whoa! It's Pretty good movie. Favorite author?
2: Favorite author Brandon Sanderson.
1: Favorite book? Is it is it one of the Sanderson novels?
2: Uh, I mean, favorite book. It it kind of it depends. Like all time favorite or like most influential?
1: Give me like, an al- give me both.
2: Both most influential is a book called Redwall. I forget the name of the author, but he wrote like twenty or so of them, but. It's, and it's my favorite book because I was an advanced reader in sixth grade. My sixth grade teacher brought that to me. She said, "I can tell you're getting bored with what we're reading in class. Try this." And it was my first okay. view awesome. into fantasy, and I just loved it. That and then awesome. my favorite, like my favorite all time book, is Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn series.
1: Very cool. And that is that is that the one that he's still doing? It's still going.
2: No, no, um He's into it? well he's got he's got different variations of it going now, but the okay. original Mistborn series is just a trilogy. But gotcha. he's got spin offs of it. Very
1: cool. If you could change the outcome of one event, what would it be? It can be a sporting event, something else that could have gone one way or another and you can change it. What would you what event would you change? Mine would be a sporting event.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean mine's a sporting event too, whether or not you call NASCAR sporting, but I would um I would roll back the day that Dale Earnhardt died, 2001 Daytona 500.
1: Mhm. I remember that day very well. Yeah, I wouldn't. That changed everything. history. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely it did. Abs- it,
1: absolutely it did.
2: I don't I don't think NASCAR would be as pussified as it is now if it still had a guy like that around. I don't think he would have let he wouldn't have let everything that went down go down without a fight the way it has.
1: If you could somehow bridge the gap, and I'm no NASCAR expert. My uncle loved NASCAR. But if you could somehow bridge the gap between putting in the safety mechanisms inside the cars that they have, but still maintain all the competition things they had up to that point, NASCAR wouldn't be in the trouble that it's in right now because I mean, they're on the verge of selling it from the family that's owned it for five or six decades. I am probably opening up a can of worms that is going to terrify me personally and then is going to make Steve incredibly happy. <laughs> what is a conspiracy theory that you believe?
2: That I believe yes. 9-11 was an inside job. There you go.
1: <laughs> when we do our conspiracy theory episode, you are so Skyping in on yeah. that on that one because we're going to discuss was- that. And we are going to do an entire episode dedicated to uh, to conspiracy theories. Fun. What is an ability? To or, that what's an ability or a skill that you don't have but you wish you did?
2: Um, like, that has to be realistic. Like, it can't be like flying or anything.
1: No, you can do Well, that will come in a later question. But, you know, okay. like, I know you can play uh, the guitar, but if somebody couldn't play the guitar, they'd say, I, you know, I wish I could play the guitar or I wish I could paint or, you know, something along those lines. A real world uh, skill.
2: I, I wish. I wish that I was fluid in three other languages. Okay. Fluent. I said fluid like an idiot. You said fluid.
1: You sure did. I heard you do it. So did everyone who's listening.
2: I said it. I edit that out.
1: <laughs> why? So. That's why. That's not going to make anybody laugh. And you said you wanted to make people laugh, but we've gotten to a point <laughs> he said, where smile. We've gotten <laughs> to a point where speaking so many other languages is. It's beyond being an extra. It's becoming a point where it's a necessity now because you can't just Google translate everything. It doesn't work that way, especially with so many different dialects in real time situations. But I think technology will help us more and more with that as we go on. What do you fear? Fe- what do you fear?
2: What do I fear? I um. I mean, it's super cliche, but I feared like something happening and me not being able to see my kids, or something happening to my kids.
1: Mm-hmm. That's fair. It shows you where your priorities are.
2: I, I got to say, wife too. She's probably gonna listen to this. Probably so.
1: Hi, Brittany. And while we're Brittany, at, Brittany. and while we're at it, hi, Stephanie. Okay, <laughs> she listens to all of them too. All right. Now we're back. To, now we're back to the question you kind of referenced before. If you could only pick one superpower, what would it be? Uh.
2: Pff- I mean, no, invincibility would be super sweet. though probably super speed. Hmm. That'd be all right. Well, hold on. If if I pick super speed, would I have invincibility as well, or am I going to tear myself apart running at Mach 3?
1: Well, you would think that if you have super speed, you'll have the physics to maintain it and deal with it. Otherwise, you'd run fast once and die. Yeah, super speed then. That's fair. All right. Who's the most famous person you've ever met?
2: Oh, I've met a lot of famous people. Um, Mostly boxing, though. Mm-hmm. Probably Roy Jones.
1: Roy's up there. I've met Roy, and I've met Buster Douglas, too. And there's not many oh, people I've, more famous than Buster.
2: <laughs> I've, I've met Buster a bunch. I go up to his gym and spar.
1: He's a cool dude.
2: Very yeah, cool I spar dude. with Mike Glasscock's up there all the time. He's... He's super relaxed, like in a gym setting. When mm-hmm. he's not in like a person personal um, appearance setting, he's he's just he's a funny dude altogether.
1: This is dangerous. Who's the celebrity you most want to meet?
2: Say I most want to meet or most want to eat? Meet. Those are two different.
1: Okay. <laughs> no, they're probably not two different answers. Knowing you, but okay. Who's the one you most want to meet?
2: The mo- one. I'm, oh no, they're two. Di- one's a girl. One's a guy. Um, <laughs> the the celebrity that I most want to meet, I would love to meet Timothy Oliphant.
1: Okay. Since she's now a member of the royal family, who has replaced Meghan Markle on your freebie five list?
2: I mean, why does she have to go away? Well,
1: she married into the British royal family. That's got to be a DQ. I'm American. Yeah, I know. And we we kicked the crap out of them in 1776 to get away from them.
2: Gotcha. I mean, if if technically she has to disappear and go away, uh-huh. um, <laughs> I don't know. That's a t- probably Felicity Smoke from Arrow.
1: Wow. All right. What's a realistic item on your bucket list?
2: A realistic item. Um, I don't know how realistic it is, but to me, like I know the proper people that it could possibly happen okay. one day. But I would love to spar with a world heavyweight champion. Don't care which one it is. But I would just, I would love to spar with one of them.
1: I'll set you up with John Ruiz. Would you rather? Yeah. Would you rather be blind or deaf? deaf even as much of a music guy as you are you'd rather be deaf
2: i would rather be deaf because i i, agree with I, re- you. I rely on my sight a lot and i mean i could still i could learn sign language so i could still communicate mm-hmm. i could learn how to read lips um, i mean i could probably still even play music i wouldn't be able to enjoy it as much yeah i mean that would be a giant downfall but to never see my kids smile again mm-hmm. and i mean also, to never hear them laugh again, that would suck, too. Cause, but never see them smile, never see the joy in their eyes again, I would just... No.
0: Cochlear implants, they make them now, so if you are deaf, you can hear. That's true.
2: What? Then, yeah, boom, right there. Loophole, I went. ha. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's good, Lawyer. Would you rather go back to age five with everything that you know now or know everything now that your future self will learn? Age five. Thank you. That's awesome. Would you rather be insanely rich and live four hundred years ago, or be poor and live today?
2: i um, insanely rich four hundred years ago.
1: Would you rather be telekinetic or have the ability to read minds?
2: Oh man! Um, what are the limits on my um, telekinetic kinetic- kineticity? I
1: don't, I, know. I don't know. You're just you're telekinetic. You can do that kind of stuff, or you can read minds.
2: I would be tele-telekinetic.
1: Okay, DC or Marvel?
2: Man, fuck you guys! (laughs) Um, Right back at
1: you, slick. Probably Marvel. Would you rather? I love. Would you rather live without music or TV? TV. Would you rather have your life remote with a rewind button or a mute button?
2: I got to go rewind.
1: What's your favorite word?
2: My favorite word is probably fuck.
1: <laughs> What's your least favorite word?
2: Probably fuck. I mean, cuz my kids repeat it back to me now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that I don't doubt. All right, one last one last question. Okay. What do you believe is your primary mission in life?
2: um to make people smile i mean i'm i'm a goofy motherfucker that's that's obviously what i was put down here for it's just to make people have a good time to forget about their worries for a little bit
1: hey there are a lot Worse ways to spend your life, and I'll tell you what, we need a lot more people like you out there oh, because yeah. we've got a lot of negativity in the world, and all that's doing is dragging people down to a level where none of us need to be. Justin, thanks for letting us put you on the spot, my friend.
2: I oh, appreciate it.
1: All right. Well, we're going to wrap this segment up, and we'll be back to close the show right after this on episode 11 of Apex Live. We'll be right back. Final moments of episode 11 of Apex Live. I want to say thank you again to Justin Navaria joining us for our first on the spot segment. By far, our longest episode to date, but I think one of our most interesting. And Steve, I really liked the
0: way that segment worked out. I thought, oh, yeah. that, I thought that was fun. It was organic. It didn't seem forced or anything. It was a you know, it was just learning more about somebody you already know. We got to learn a lot.
1: I think that that anyone who's listening now gets to feel, like we talked about last time, Like it's more of not necessarily an interactive experience, but a more personal experience Mm -hmm. because it's not just, okay. here's a person. Here's a voice. Here's the issue. Here's the response. It's about them. And I think everyone at some point in their life deserves a spotlight. Their story deserves to be heard no matter what it is. And when you can sit back and have some questions thrown at you and you can talk about them, you can learn something about yourself. Mm -hmm. The people you're talking to can learn about you and maybe learn some things about themselves And then any untold number of people who may pick up on it may get to to learn something along the way, too. So I thought that was fun. It was enjoyable to do. And we'll certainly have more of those coming up. Uh, stay tuned here in the near future. We'll be doing episode twelve. Hopefully next week we're gonna bring in another guest at some point, and we'll talk about everything that's going on. Hopefully my family situation doesn't completely implode, and hopefully in the next few days no one that we know will be dead. Steve, any final thoughts on everything that we accomplished tonight from the first half or the second half? It,
0: it's definitely a uh, a longer episode, um, but I think you know overall it went pretty good. Um. We had my child here. He passed out. He was being really good all evening, and we didn't really notice anything out of him. So it was pretty cool, except for maybe like a couple funions being snatched on. But well, we had one. We had one of your children, but by far the most vocal of the three, yeah. whenever it comes to interjecting into situations. But and he destroyed a a, a container of uh, distilled water that I have with the. Uh... Funyin friggin is disgusting.
1: Well, it was a it was a gallon of distilled fresh Wonderful, nice-tasting water that, thanks to Funyan Backwash, is now Funyan water. Ugh. And if you've <laughs> so ever tasted Funyans, I'd say if you really just closed your eyes and concentrated, you could still taste the first Funyan that you ever had. Funyans are good. They're good in their place, and their place is not in a gallon jug of distilled water. No, it's, yeah, it's bad. Oh, Ugh. good grief. But, you know. What do you expect whenever you start inserting X-Factors into everything you do? That's true. Not a lot of closing material tonight. I think you've listened to enough. Downloading, streaming, whenever and however you're listening. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Until next time. Remember, betrayal never comes from your enemies. Watch your six. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Brad. That's Steve this has been apex live good night america wherever you are